You were listening to... Hey, wait, before I start, are you recording? I am recording. <laughs> you better believe I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, keep I, check, too am I keep checking it every 30 seconds. So, so do I. So do I now. Hell? Let it be noted in the minutes. We are both recording. Of course, <laughs> we were last time too. But. Okay, here we go. Listening to Truth to You Radio with Jono on truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letteryou.org, where you can also sign up for the weekly newsletter and keep up to date via iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. And good day to Bill in Oregon, Michelle in New Jersey, Kai in Nevada, Sandra, Jean, and Tyler in Florida, Kyle in Mexico, Trent, New Mexico, that is, Trent in Tasmania in Australia, Susie in Texas, Hamish in Victoria, Australia, Gail in Georgia, Cheryl in New Hampshire, Mark in Liverpool, New South Wales. David in California, Shirley in Alabama, Laurie in Wisconsin, William in North Carolina, Keith, and Roger in Colorado, who gave a shout-out to Keith. And wherever you may be around the world, thank you for joining us once again. And thank you to the listeners who have been commenting. I really do appreciate that. Like uh, Michael, who commented on the Truth To You Facebook page, saying... My day wouldn't be complete without a dose of truth to you. I'm able to listen while driving between calls. What a delight. Thank you. Well, thank you. What's your name? Michael. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> and, uh, and, and by the way, in iTunes, I've recently discovered people have been leaving comments on iTunes. We can listen oh, oh, to wow. truth to you. Uh, one saying, thank you, Jono, for posting these to iTunes. I am a new iPad user and I need this outlet in the worst way. I and my family have been so blessed by Nehemiah's insights as well as Yoel's perspectives. They have, <laughs> they have become <laughs> our primary Hebrew teachers. I don't, no, he didn't. <laughs> I don't think they're mixing up uh, Keith with Yoel. I think they've, they've oh, been listening to more than just Torah Pills. <laughs> I don't understand why he's laughing, Jono. I, I think he thinks that we've mixed. She's, she's, she's disrespecting you. <laughs> no, no. I thought I looked at it as she's he's saying, "Look, we've got we've got Yoel over here. We got Nehemia over there." Yeah, I, I looked at that as a, a great blessing, Nehemia. I don't. I just. Yoel, of course, doing Light of the Prophets. And uh, there we go. Hey, listen, listen. Uh, also, this one, love your site, Jono. Tadaraba, for giving us access to these wonderful programs. I am always rewarded with new tidbits of information. And this one, excellent and well rounded. I really appreciate the well rounded topics Truth to You offers learning scripture with Hebrew scholars and degreed ministers. That must be you, Keith. You're the no, degreed minister. Jono. And then learning, <laughs> learning about being true to the body that Yehovah gave us. Through natural health and healing, the program is always a pleasure to listen to. Thank you. Well, thank you, those who have uh, who've left um, comments on iTunes and also rated Truth to You on iTunes. I have no idea what that does, but you know it can't be a bad thing. So, by all means, more people go and, and rate Truth to You on iTunes and uh, leave comments there. It is, of course, time for pearls from the Torah portion with Keith Johnson and Nehemiah Gordon. G'day, gentlemen. G'day, Jono. This is Nehemiah Gordon, the wandering Jew in Florida. And uh, I want to do a shout-out to uh, Christopher Fredrickson in Australia and Kenneth Martin in Texas. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, and if you haven't been listening, you need to be. I want to read a letter from, uh, from Pam, who wrote me through my website, nehemiahswall.com, nehemiahswall.com. Mm. And she wrote, Hi, Nehemiah. I have been listening to Torah Pearls on Truth to You, and I have learned a lot. I began learning about Torah from Torah class with Tom Bradford 
you, Keith Johnson, and Jono have fine-tuned Torah even more for me. I live in central Wisconsin between Chicago and Minneapolis, where you and Keith were from. I wish I had learned to understand the Tanakh earlier. It would have explained so many of the questions I had and some that I still have regarding the New Testament, etc., uh, etc. Et Shalom to you, uh, Pam. Thanks, right. Pam. Thank you, Pam. Thanks, Keep Pam. Good night to Pam. So that was, um, you know, I, I just want to say this. Uh, first of all, all of the people that listen to Torah Pearls, I still, I, I must say, Jono and Nehemiah, I am still humbled that people actually tune in for this two-hour uh, circus that we sometimes uh <laughs> it's a three-ring circus and come on let's be honest and, and that people will actually listen and i know mean, we do have many pearls that come out but sometimes i think you know how do these folks do this and i just want to say this this is no small thing for us we we've really taken this serious people don't know how many times the uh, shows have been erased how we've had the schedule where we had to wait for Nehemia to come out of the bathroom. I mean, there's been so many things that have happened. I mean, it's been an amazing experience, but I want to say that. But I want to ask one question. Is there really a Tasmania? There's a Tasmania. Every now and then we accidentally leave it off the map, but it is there and it is part of Australia. It's I just am, sort of hanging down there. That's not the a real place, is it? Isn't that like, isn't that a thing from that, that cartoon thing? It's No, no, the no. Tasmanian ta- devil? It's not a real place. Hey, it's a real place. The, the Tasmanian Devil, I don't know what that is in, uh, what is it, Warner Brothers or something, but there are Tasmanian Devils. And, uh, are they that cute? Mm, I mean, you just want to hug that Tasmanian Devil. He's adorable. You can, you can have a go when you come. You can try. I wouldn't. But I was, and, uh, I was, in, the middle, I was in the middle of my... Uh, I was used to be called Van Diemen's Land. How many fans out there really? would think that uh, that we should have uh, Torah Pearls with Keith Johnson? <laughs> what? Please send me a shout out. <laughs> Look, I was trying to do my thing. I was giving my. I never interrupt Nehemiah when he does his little hello to so and so and so and so and so. I'm doing my little hello and then I bring up my Tasmania. I'm going to bring up the whole Tasmania cartoon and Nehemiah steps in and takes away the Tasmania cartoon shtick. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> What would I do without him, ladies and gentlemen? I'm actually oh, <laughs> Anyway, to all those that are listening, I surely appreciate it. It's to all, to all those, do you know who they are? Or let, let, me, let me tell you where they're listening from, Keith, because this is one of my favorite parts. Of I course, in the United States, Australia, Canada, United Kingdom, South Africa, Germany, New Zealand, Brazil, Singapore, Switzerland, Netherlands, India, Portugal, Saudi Arabia, and Costa Rica. And that's just the, the last 500 hits. Wow. wow. That's Saudi amazing. Arabia. That's amazing. International. Okay. Yeah, Saudi Arabia. Hey. I love this. I love this. Okay, so anyway, shout out to all oh, those yeah. folks. Mm-hmm, indeed. Now, look, we are, oh, my goodness. Of course, this is the final portion. This is uh-huh. it. This is We're it. In the, this, this is it. We've done 50. How many have we done? 51. 54. This is the 54th episode. This is the, this is the 54th. It's 52 weeks in the English calendar. Keith, oh, but there's the, a couple of doubles, right? You're the calendar guy, Keith. So the, so oh. the, uh, the um, you know, look, so a Hebrew, a Hebrew year is approximately, and it varies by uh, up to a day or two, but it's it's approximately 354 days, which comes out to 50 weeks, a little over 50 weeks. Mm. Now, if, if you have a leap year, then it shoots up from 354 to 383, which is approximately 54 weeks. And so there's 54 Torah portions, which are done in some years over a period of 50 weeks. And that's why you have the double headers. And it'll vary mm-hmm. from year to year because mm-hmm. leap year you have an extra four, uh, extra four episodes or extra four weeks essentially. So we've been doing this for something like fifty weeks, but this is our fifty fourth episode. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And, it and really is. it, it, so so here we are doing the. So it's it's huge, and uh, I was reading through it today, 
And for me, it's kind of exciting because, yeah, we've been doing it for a year. This is the final one. At the same time, it's kind of a, in a way, it's a, um, it's an emotional Torah portion. Absolutely, uh, it is. When I was reading it, we're going to get straight into it. Before it we is. do, before we do, Nehemiah, would yes, you sir. please, Psalm 119, verse 18, before we begin. I think we should have Keith pray that. I, I, he should open with prayer. We can do that. Nehemiah, uh, okay, so Psalm 119. I was about to do it. Now you're interrupting me. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it. <laughs> They're going to shoot you. Yo. Don't talk. <laughs> what a blessing it is, Father, to be uh, in, in this process with these men, uh, men of the word that we've been in. And what a blessing it is to know that uh, we're attempting to honor uh, everything that you have given us through your word. Help us continually to have our eyes open, that we might see the wonderful things, the beautiful things, the amazing things, and the marvelous things that you have in your Torah, in your place of teaching and instruction. Pray blessing over all those that have listened, all those that will listen, and all those that are listening right now. May their eyes also be open, that they might see the wonderful things in your Torah. Amen. 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 Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Keith. Mm -hmm. And of course, it is Vazot Habaracha. Ooh, Deuteronomy 33.1 to the end of Deuteronomy 34, verse 12. I want to say and something before you start. Please, Keith. Jono, I got to tell you something. You know, when, when, uh, when, when you, when, when you um, first started this uh, Torah Pearls, you know, you were, you were learning with Yoel, uh, who is a wonderful Hebrew teacher, and you're the fruit of that labor because what's amazing is, it, Nehemiah, did you see how he just said this, 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 uh, this section we're about to read? He said it in Hebrew. It was it was beautiful. When I heard you when you said it, I just thought this is amazing. You know, I've heard different people uh, read Hebrew. My, one of my one of my most difficult ones I've ever heard was when Ralph Messer uh, was reading Hebrew, and uh, you know he he had, he had this he had this PR piece where he'd say, "I'm a Hebrew teacher, and this is what I do." And 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 I want to and the reason I want to bring this up is because, you know, it's one thing for people to say. You know, I'm a teacher, and and I and this is the Hebrew word, and you know, and I, I mean, people jack stuff. I jack stuff. You know, it's 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 not my my first language. It's a process of learning. But I want to give great respect to you for one uh, taking the process with Yoel to learn the Aleph and the Beit, and and now the way that you speak it, it really is a beautiful thing. So I just wanted you uh, to say it again, and I wanted to let people know. You know, Jonah, you didn't have to do this. Guy's got his own international radio show. Why would you sit down and want to relearn or learn something this way? And, and having gone through this process, it, it's not an easy thing, and it's a humbling thing. But uh, the way you just said the, the portion was really, really beautiful, and I want to tell you thanks for, for entering into the process. It's just a great a testament to your commitment to knowing the Word of God. So I thought it that would be something. And you look know, you didn't even, uh, he didn't even correct you. Like usually you say, is it Bercha? And he said, no, Bercha. Is it this? And he, no, it's this. <laughs> that time he didn't say anything. And Nehemiah, you got to give him some credit. He, he, just, he just did the point. I mean, it was beautiful. Look, I, I respect, honestly, man, respect. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say uh, Yoel is a, is a far better teacher than I am a student. And, and quite honestly, I'm a fairly lazy student. But right. um, it I'm has been... It, yeah, it's just right. Hey, but <laughs> it has been a learning curve for me, and uh, and I have enjoyed the opportunity to be more familiar with the Hebrew language, and I hope that that, and I know that that will continue. How can it yes, not continue? Absolutely. It has to. Absolutely. Now, this this kicks off with uh, Moses's final blessing on uh, on the twelve tribes of Israel, and it, and and as I mentioned before, it is an emotional 
Torah portion because for the last, guys, for the last four books of the Torah, we've been dealing with this guy. This is Moses, the yes, servant of God, the man of God. This is Moses. And, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, because, of course, uh, Bereshit, Genesis, it begins with, with Abraham. And in, in the end of Genesis, near the end of Genesis, we have uh, uh, Jacob giving mm-hmm. the blessing to his sons. Here we are at the end of the whole Moses story. And here he is blessing uh, the children of Israel, the, the 12 tribes. Same 12 tribes. Same 12 tribes. And, yeah, same ones. And uh, so it's, it's very interesting. And this is how it begins. Just a second. One more thing. I know I know you guys, last one. But isn't it also interesting, uh, Jono, that it's almost like we're dealing with uh, a two-movement two orc uh, symphony. Um, mm. You know, it's like, it's like um, you know, if, you, if you've ever gone to a symphony, you know, they'll say that he's in the first movement and he's in the third mm-hmm. movement. And mm-hmm. so in these, this section here where he starts out and he says, and Moses recited the words of this song before 32, which was last week. And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. And then he does this, this poetry, poetic form, as we talked about. And then he does this thing again. Yeah. There's a little narrative at the end of 32. And the narrative talks about him going up to the Mount Nebo and he's about to die, et cetera, et cetera. It's mm-hmm. a narrative, narrative, narrative. And then it says, and this is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. And then he goes back to poetry. So it's like a beautiful symphony where, you know, and, you know there's this tension in music. And then they, they calm down and maybe only two or three things. And then he's about to do this beautiful, you know, poetic uh, proclamation of blessing before the people. So that's, I just wanted folks to realize that, you know, there was a poetry, a little bit of narrative, a little bit of narrative, introduction again. And now we're here back to poetry. So that's, so we should look for some of those things that will, that will come out in this form are different than what we would see if we were reading in Genesis you know, the, the narrative of Abraham or whatever. Okay. Mm, Thank indeed. you, sir. Now, this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, Yehovah came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran and he came with 10,000 saints. That's mm. what I've got. I've got 10,000 saints. Wait a minute. Oh, really? Go ahead. Keep what reading. have you got? Keep, no, keep oh, no, reading, I, and then I'll I stop. Can, I'll stop. You go ahead. From his right hand, 10,000 saints, from his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Okay. So here's what I'd All like right. us to do in this last Torah parole. So I would like to be Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you be Jonah, and Jonah, you be Keith. Okay? Oh, okay. You know, so I... <laughs> so, so, I'm, I'm being you, am I? Yeah, you're okay. being me, and I'm going to be Nehemiah. Okay, so let's stop here for a second. We, we can't pass that. We can't pass this verse. I yeah, mean, this I is probably the most important. This, this is probably is the, the most important, most important verse in the entire the, the entire Tanakh. And it oh, says, and he came with twenty-four. Mir- no, <laughs> no, I want. I just, I'm just kidding about being each other. But I want to ask this question. I want to stop for a second, Jonah. When you read that he came with his, and I, I want to. Put it in your version. What was your version again? It says he came with ten thousand, uh, with ten thousand of saints. And so when I read it in the in the NIV, it says he came with myriads of holy ones. Now I I want us to slow down for a second. So when you heard that, what did you think? When you I, read that, what did you think? When I read that, I thought I I don't know what the Hebrew word here is, but I'm sure there's a better alternative. I thought that's that's probably a poor choice of, of words. I don't know. It just didn't seem to fit. Okay, and so when I saw he came with myriads of holy ones, I thought, mm. so, it, it didn't say he came with myriads of angels. It came, well, no, no, because, because what I think, when I see saints, I think of those oh, who are set apart. Oh, and saints, 
come yeah, marching. Yeah. Oh, when okay. the saints come marching in. And then there's that, okay. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you know, there's that. But but really, when we Wait. say saints, we're talking about people who are set apart, right? Don't get him well, singing, it, Keith. No, no, just no, no. And, and, and so, and so what we want to do is we want to take a look. We want to let Nehemiah talk for just a minute. And we want to say, Nehemiah. So open up your Hebrew Bible, and when you read it, what do you see in your mind? And, and Nehemiah, what I want you to do, if you could, I want you to do what we did 10 years ago. Give us the English translation. Don't tell us the Hebrew word as a start. So if you read that same verse, what would you see in the, as far as the translation, the translation of verse, uh, verse 2? Right. So for that phrase, I would, uh, I would say, and he came from, from the myriads of, of holy or of holiness. And mm-hmm. it's, po- oh, it's poetry. So you've got to ask yourself, well, what does that mean? And this is why we've got all the different translations. Well, what is the holiness? And, and if I didn't know anything else, I would, I would say that this is actually referring to the city of Kadesh Barnea, which um, comes from the same word as holy. Uh, and that's where they actually were located for, for a significant amount of time in the desert at this place of Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. And, um, and so it might be a reference to that. Because what we have here is a series of references to God coming. He's arriving from the, from the south, from the mountains of the south and southeast. He's coming mm-hmm. from Sinai, he's coming from Seir, and he's coming from Paran, which, mm. which are actually different locations in southern and so- southeastern uh, Israel, or, or to the southeast of Israel, actually. Um, and, uh, and then Kodesh, which is probably just uh, another form, possibly another form of the word Kadesh, which, like right. I said, is Kadesh Barnea. Uh, so he's coming from the myriads, the tens of thousands of Kadesh, meaning the people of Israel, who are... Mm-hmm camped around the city of Kadesh. That's a possibility. But like I said, it's poetry, and poetry is, you know, it, is kind of strange, you know, it, it, it uses weird images. And so, you know, last week we read about um, them eating the, the fat, uh, the, what was it? It was the fat of the... Uh, the fat of the lamb. No, but it no. was also the fat of the... fat of the, um, wheat. the fat of, the, of wheat and the blood mm. of the grapes. Okay, so those are symbols, and presumably this is poetic language. This might be a symbol for Kadesh, but maybe it means that the tens of thousands of holy could be a, 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 have a double meaning, meaning they're at Kadesh, and there are also holy ones there. So, and maybe that's why he and, uses the word holy, holy ones. And, and it's so, interesting that you say that, Nehemiah, and for those that are listening who, who wouldn't know Kadesh or Kadosh or Kodesh, um, that that would be the word used for uh, for holy, like for example, when the when the, the they're in the throne room saying, you know, holy, 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 um, right. using kadosh, that same kadosh, word, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. But but hmm. what's interesting is when I see that, you know, in my NIV, uh, Jono, I've got a little note that says he came with, and then the with has an a, and I go down and I see the note that says or from. So right. the word being there, they're saying so he came from or he came with. But the idea of coming with or coming from when I when I thought of that, and I'm really glad you brought up the word of um, um, Kadesh Barnea, Barnea because right. that, that seems to me to be the, sort of this connection of wh- wherever it was that he came from or where it was that he, whoever he, he came with, I, I just kind of imagine this idea of him being in the midst of the holy, that he's holy, mm-hmm. and so wherever he would come from would, would be holy. In other words, right. if, if, even if we were talking about a physical location that he came from, then that would be a place that's holiness because he's there. Sure. So, anyway. and, and look, it's, it's, it's also very, I mean, the, the, what suggests to me that it's a geographical location is that it says from. It doesn't say with. Yes. That exactly. he came from the myriads of, of holiness or of holy. And so that then suggests, and those myriads, by the way, might not be Israel. They might be, they might, they might be the angels. You know, that's, that's, this, I mean, so this is actually an image that we see in a number of places in the Tanakh and in, in the Bible that, um, that Yehovah is coming and he's surrounded by angels and, 
you know, this, this is an image that we see. I mean, we actually read one last week, and I think it was in Isaiah 63, the first few verses, where Jehovah is coming from Mount Seir, and his, his clothes are all bloodied, and he's fought, and he fought all by himself, nobody was with him. And this is an image that appears in a number of passages in the Tanakh, in the Bible, of Jehovah arriving, the arrival of Jehovah. Yes. Um, and, and, and he's often described as a man of war, but not always. Um, but his arrival is always something, you know, something um, spectacular and, mm. and glorious. And sometimes, mm. you know, he's standing with his two feet on the mountain, but it's this, you know, in Zechariah, but his, you know, Jehovah's arrival and, you know, like the arrival of, of this uh, victorious king is something that is this repeated theme throughout the, throughout the Bible. Sure. There it is. Sure. So just while we're on the words, fiery law, is that what you've got? A fiery Torah? That's a really. Well, it doesn't say law. It doesn't. Excuse me. It doesn't say Torah. It Wait, says, I'm sorry. Uh, what word do you see that, uh, uh, John? Okay, so that's. Uh, the, I'm assuming. I am assuming that the word law is Torah. But you're telling it's me that not. it's not. No, it's the word. It's I don't the word know what he's talking about. What do you got? Read that verse two in your at the end, in your translation, Keith. He came two. with myriads of holy ones from the south, from he, his mountain slopes. Mountain what? slopes. <laughs> From the south of his mountain slopes, so I got from his right hand so came a fiery law for them. Yeah, let me tell you what happened here. So the word in Hebrew is, or it's two words, esh dot, which means fire, and dot is law. Um, mm-hmm. Now the thing about the word dot uh, is that it's not the normal word for law. Obviously, law or the normal word we have is instruction. The word dot <clears throat> appears only here in the Torah, and the next time it appears is going to be in the book of Esther. And it refers uh-huh. in that context of Esther to the um, to Persian law is is the uh-huh. context. Um, does it not also term, does it not also not show up in Daniel? Uh, it probably does. Okay, but yes. you know, so basically, so it's from the Persian period, the Babylonian period, um, and so you've got dots appearing in this very late context, uh, and it being you know a loan word from either Persian or Aramaic or possibly both. And uh, and so some people have come along and said, wait a minute, dot in the Torah can't mean law because that's a Persian word. That's from a much later period. And what happened is that if you look in the Hebrew manuscripts, esh, dot, fiery law is actually written as one word. And in the margin it says, read it as two words. And so this is an example of what we call kri kativ, the writ, written in the red. And there's you know uh, hundreds of examples of this in the Bible where it's written one way in the body of the text and it's written a different way in the margin. And the margin tells you to read it a different way. And in this particular example, it's, it's a little bit more rare than the common examples. Here, it tells you to read one word as two words. And, um, and that happens. Sometimes it, it'll write the word as two words, and it'll tell you to read it as one word. Now, if you mm-hmm. read it as one word, ashdot, then it means uh, ashdot is actually, uh, I believe the English translation of ashdot is really cataracts. But since no one knows what that means, they write the mountain slopes. <laughs> Ashdot are the um, are, uh, are are rocky waterfalls in a in a river, which in English is called a cataract. Um, like so, for example, there's the Ashdot of the Jordan River just south of Tiberias. So if you go on a little boat or not really a boat, a canoe down the Jordan River, there's a certain place you can't go anymore because there's a, a, a rocky waterfall, and you'll mm-hmm. you know you'll be sure. hurt. Um, it, it's and, and so that's that's what Ashdot are. Um, like there's a little town in that area called Ashdot Yaakov. Uh, Anyway, so so you know, you know, Ashdot Lamo, he in his right hand, the mountainous slopes or the watery slopes for them. I don't know what that would mean, which explains why you know somebody, you know, why others said no, this should be read as two different well, words. Now, I'm just a, curious, yeah. is it possible that that uh, it's talking about the waters of Meribah, where where um, very much so, uh, sure. 
there it is. You absolutely could mean there that the water was coming out of his right hand, symbolically speaking, and it was Ooh. rocky waters. It was you know, absolutely that could be what it means. Um, but but the point is that the scribes who who preserved the text for us they were they didn't know what this was, and so they said read it as two different words. And maybe they were right. I don't know. It might have said that way in a different manuscript. Can can we? And I know this is totally off topic, but can we to look at? There's an example, a famous example where there are two words written as one word, and those who don't understand this come up with all kinds of bizarre explanations of it. But look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. That's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. In fact, I'm going to ask you guys to read 5 and 6. I'm going to ask the Methodists to read 5 and 6 of Isaiah 9. Okay. To us a child is born. This, this is one of my favorite okay. So, okay. 5 and 6. 9, 5 and 6. <laughs> to us a child is Every born. Word. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And then okay, so uh, for in, us... To, in English, it's uh, six and seven, then, sorry. <laughs> okay, guys. For to us seven. a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Keep going. Okay. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Okay. So here Isaiah is talking about the birth of this son, of course. I mean, I, I think everybody knows what this means in Christianity. Um, in Judaism, we understand this to refer to one of Isaiah's sons who has a symbolic name. But what's significant for our discussion is in verse 6, you had of the increase. How did you read that? Of the increase of his, how did it say it? Of the increase of his verse government. Seven. Seven. The increase of his government. Okay, and it's not the best translation, but I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you go with government. So, of the increase in Hebrew is limarbe. Now, in the now limarbe is the reading in the margin. In the margin, it says read it as limarbe of the increase. In the actual body of the text, what it says is lamraba uh, to them greatness, which you might think, okay, to them greatness of the government is kind of the same thing, but Hebrew is very precise, and, and the scribes took this very seriously, and, and uh, they said, no, this is two words written in the body of the text, but in the margin they say, read it as one, of the increase. Um, and uh, what's funny about this is that it, what happened here is in, in uh, the original Hebrew script, uh, and I don't want to get too technical for the people, but basically the, the reading it as two words, the way it's written in the, in the, in the body of the text is indicated by using what's called the final mem. The final mem is at the end of the word for lam, for them, and then rabah, greatness. Uh, and in the original Hebrew script, there was no final mem. So the original Hebrew script, it's very, you know, what's called Paleo-Hebrew, it's very possible, even in Second Temple times, in some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's no final mem. The mem at the end of a word is written like a regular mem. And so, uh, so in, that t in that time period, if you wrote these two words next to each other, and you didn't have a big enough space between the words, you might you might mistake them for one word uh, instead of two words, and vice versa. Hmm. And uh, apparently, they were originally written as two words, and then the marginal reading reading says uh, read them as one word. Now, uh, can, can I talk about <laughs> some of the weird explanations I've heard from some Christians, or should I before you no before you no before you do that? I, I want to say I want to say this one one thing that is funny, Jono, is that, you know if you open up your Hebrew Bible and you see what Nehemiah just talked about. So you you know and he, as he says you know there was no final mem um, you know originally, but what's what's so interesting you know I happen to have a a reader's Hebrew Bible that I use sometimes sometimes I use my Leningrad Codex etc. But but what's so interesting is when you read it I mean if if I'm just reading this immediately I see what's wrong with this word, you know what's wrong with this word why is there a final mem connected right into the next to, to right the in the middle letter? of the word 
There's a exactly. final mem in the middle of the exactly. word, the way it's written in the body of the text, which really means it's two exactly. words. Because the final mem indicates point. the end of a word. Yeah. Right. Well, so, in, in anyway, the manuscript, obviously, yeah, the, there are the vowel points. Yeah. But, right, right. All right. So, but anyways, my so, point is that you stop. Go ahead. Yeah. No, so can I talk about what, what the, the – or should we just skip that? No, 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 no. You, no, you got to All right, so, so this is something I've been told by people, and, and, and I, when I heard this, I, I you know, I, I'm like <laughs> – so this is the explanation that, that I heard, which is from some of the my, my um, uh, Christian friends, and, and actually from more from Messianics, is that the, the – you know, there's this final mem here, and uh, – and and it's in the middle of this word, and which of course to me means that there's really two words, obviously. But the way they said is, you know, the mem is enclosed, and mem the Hebrew word letter mem means water, and this is enclosed like the womb, full of water. It's it's, oh. it's, it's a closed womb, and I'm not really sure where they go with that, but or what that has to do with anything. But to me, what that does is it perverts the text because sure. here the text has a perfectly, you know, uh, simple grammatical explanation how you interpret it is something else but mm-hmm. the actual meaning of the words they have meaning you know for them greatness versus the increase Th- these are words that have meaning and when isaiah spoke them the people weren't looking at some word and in isaiah's time they didn't have final mems so, you, so there was no such thing as the closed mem that looked like a, a closed womb with water i mean it, it, it's idiotic to say that it didn't exist in mm-hmm. isaiah's time it didn't exist in jesus's time in the first century mm-hmm. so to say these things is utterly ridiculous um, uh, it's something that came from a later period, but the point is that you know these words have meaning, and if if you if you turn the the letters into these symbolic, uh, you know, word pictures, you you strip the words of their meaning, you mm. turn them into uh into something else, and you know I I, I I met this guy a number of years ago. Um, he actually came to my Passover seder, and uh, the guy told us how he had um he was from the U.S. and he told us how he spent three to four hours every day studying the Hebrew word pictures. Like Aleph is a bull and Beth is a house and mm-hmm. and uh, and and you would say you know Dalit is and it's true Aleph is a bull and Beth is a house and Gimel is a camel. You're not gonna you're not gonna, and, you're and not gonna cross door. No, I am. I, I love this kind of stuff, Jono. He's about so to, look. About this. So Keith likes this stuff and it's cute symbolism. <laughs> it's cute but and fun it's stuff. Not, it, it's not what the words mean. And it, and and what was interesting about this gentleman is that he told us that he he spent three to four hours a day every day for three to four years. So he had spent and, and I had a friend there who was who was a who was he was a math guy? He was a, a bookkeeper, and he said, "Wait a minute! You just you just told us you spent over a thousand hours studying the Hebrew language. Can you read Hebrew?" And the guy says, "Well, no, I can't read Hebrew, but I know what the symbolism of each of the of the letters is." So he'd look at the word um, limarbe, and he couldn't read that word, but he'd say, "There's a lamed, and lamed is from the word to learn." And mem, that's the water, and resh, that's the head, and bet, that's the house, and hey, that's behold. And he'd come up with an explanation of the word based on the symbolism. And, uh, you know, and from some, for somebody who actually reads Hebrew, this, this, is, this is a perversion of the language. I mean, it, 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 it strips the language of its grammatical meaning, of its Wait, linguistic it. meaning, and turns it into some, like, little, you know, symbolic uh, silly um, thing, and, mm-hmm. and it, it's an insult to the language to me. If you want to do that symbolism, I've got nothing against it. But first, learn to understand the language, and then we can talk about you know sure. these symbolisms and things. And and uh, and so this gentleman, we 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 started referring to him as Olive Bet Boy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and and I'm telling you, so the guy would be talking about that's a gift, that that's a Dalid concept. That's the door to understanding. That's the Vav concept. That's where I can. It's the hook that I could hang my idea on. <laughs> we were like, oh my gosh, you've stripped the words of all significance and meaning and turned them into these fuzzy little uh, spiritual New Age symbols. Okay, wow. so okay. let oh, me just okay. say this. We, I know that we, 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 have, we have 
It's quite to be edited. No, no, he might have had this edit this out. But but what's really really interesting and what's really really cool, and I come hundred percent agree with the family. What I would say is this: I think I think where we get into dangers when people say, "Okay, I don't know that this is Bereshit. I don't know what that word means, but I can say the bait is the the house and the ration." Okay, and then they do theological gymnastics with it. Now, if you strip the theology away from it and you strip the you know it's a Dalit concept and all that, it is a fascinating fascinating. Uh, concept that the creator of the universe picks a language where there are pictures for the, for the letters, and there are you know we've got this you know this this wonderful like multifaceted language, and so from that perspective, you know I don't want to throw folks completely under the bus who who study you know the the, the word pictures. I just think you got to be careful when it comes to making theology out of word pictures. <laughs> just mm. just Jono. I mean, I've gone back and forth for ten years on this, so this is a touchy subject. This is a touchy subject. <laughs> There's so much more that you would like to say. Look, I'm I'd glad like that you... to say. I'd like to say, but I, I all wanna, I can say I, is I, that's a Zion concept, and only y'all is going to understand what I just said. <laughs> all right. Okay. Excellent. Here we go. <laughs> no, look, I'm how, glad. No, I'm glad you brought this up. Isaiah oh, chapter. Oh, how do we in Isaiah chapter nine here? I mean, what what has he done to us? Let's get back to getting back to Torah pearls. But I'm, but I'm, but no, listen, listen. In, in the last, now that we're in the last Torah pearls, and I think this does need to, it does need to be okay. said because there is so much airy fairy speculation based on half knowledge, based on a little bit of knowledge, perhaps. Yeah, you're going to get me started uh, on that. So I think we're going to have to go ahead and jump into it. No, no, you already got me started. Come on, let me oh. go. And and it is. It, and there's a word for that. There's a word for this. Taking little bits of information and trying to join them all together for the sake <laughs> of filling someone's uh, already made up mind, their own agenda to, 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 to fulfill an agenda. It's called, you know what it's called? Mm, I sure do. It's called, it's called apophenia. A-P-O-P-H-E-N-I-A. Oh, there's some oh, homework boy. for the listeners. And the <laughs> definition is the, the experience of seeing meaningful patterns or connections in random or meaningless data. And that's what happens when we only have little bits of information and we think we know a lot. You know what we I think of when, when I hear that? scriptures and trying to join things together that don't yeah. necessarily connect. Oh, okay. you, you know what I think about um, when I hear that is, uh, you know, that you ever see that movie? Um, oh, what's it beautiful called? Beautiful Mind. The Beautiful, beautiful Mind. That's, where the he's, you know, that's That's it. So that's what he's I think of when I hear that. That's he was an Aussie, really. Yeah. In, in real life, or the actor Russell Crowe, the actor. Oh, 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 yeah, Russell Crowe. I like. He's him. one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, and and, and there's this verse uh, that that is really interesting that people quote this verse. Can we look at this? And this is totally off topic. Maybe we shouldn't do this. No, we're know. on a roll. We got to do it. Come on, please. No, okay. You get two of those um, for the show, Nehemia. Seriously, you get two of those. This no, is totally off topic. topic. <laughs> That's, I've got some others in reserve, so I don't know. If I can... <laughs> Wait, Isaiah 28, verse 9, For whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts, for precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here are there little, there and there a little. And what's funny is people have quoted me this verse as a justification for apophonia. They say, this is why I take a half a verse here, and two-thirds of a verse from this other book, and two lines from another verse, and I put them all together into this, into this picture. I'm creating a mosaic. And why am I allowed to do this? Because this is how God teaches scripture. Uh, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Uh, but what they don't read is the next verse in Isaiah. He keeps going. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. And uh, to whom he said, this is uh, the rest wherewith he may uh, cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing that they would not hear. 
Um, but the word of Yehovah was a, unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line here. In other words, they weren't listening. <laughs> and because they weren't listening, God's word became to them gibberish. <laughs> that they might go and, and, and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. In other words, they weren't listening, they were stubborn, and so his word became to them uh, this precept upon precept, line upon line, stammering lips in another tongue. It wasn't supposed to be that way, it's supposed to be clear and coherent, but because they were rebellious, they stripped it of its meaning and turned it into this gibberish garbly goop that they couldn't even understand themselves. That, mm. That's not how Scripture is meant to be. Scripture is supposed to be this straight, clear thing. You stand Amen. every seven years, and you hear the Word of God. If you're an eight-year-old babe, you hear it, and you learn to fear Jehovah your God. You don't say, Amen. oh, I'm going to take half of a verse here and three-quarters of a verse there, <laughs> and one word out of context that I don't understand from Genesis, and I'll Amen. build myself a new theology. Apophenia. <laughs> <laughs> We've been Let's wanting to say this. Precept <laughs> upon precept. <laughs> Oh boy. May as well all get it all out now because this is the there last, is. <laughs> this is the last oh floor we've been wanting to say this for a while. Keith, are you there with your sandpaper? Or, or I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, it's, it's going to smooth it over? No, I'm not going to smooth it over. It's fine. There it is. There it is. Moses commanded for us a law, a heritage yes. of the congregation of Jacob, and he stop. was king in Yeshurun. We've got to stop here. Mm. We've got to stop at this verse. I'm going to read this verse in Hebrew. This is one of the 25 most important verses in the Bible. And I would put it up there with, um, look, if there weren't all the other ones, this would be the most important verse. Torah tziva lanu Moshe. Moshe commanded us a Torah instruction. Morasha kihilat Yaakov, an inheritance for the congregation of Jacob. So this is a verse that's very near and dear to me for a private reason. And that's because um, my father, who passed away last year of blessed memory, he, this was his favorite verse. This is the yeah. verse that actually, whenever he would see uh, his grandchildren, his, my nephews and nieces, when they were three years old, he would say to them, uh, he'd say, Ronin, recite after me, Torah. And Ronin was a little boy, he'd say, uh, Torah, Siva. And he would recite this verse. And every one of my nephews and nieces knows this verse by heart in Hebrew. And this was so uh, important, a verse to my father. This was actually, you know, the, there's a Jewish custom, that, uh, especially in Israel, that when, when someone passes away, that you, you inscribe a verse on their tombstone, their favorite mm-hmm. verse. And this mm-hmm. is the, the verse that's inscribed on my father's tombstone. Moshe commanded us a Torah and inheritance for the congregation of Jacob. Now, the significance of this verse to my father is different than what it was to me. The way my father read this verse is the way that uh, Orthodox Jews in general read this verse. And, and, and here this goes back to the whole idea of biblical parallelism. We talked about this last week. Remember we had, give ear, O heavens, and uh, listen, O earth, o earth. or hear, O mm-hmm. earth. And, uh, and, we, and we talked about biblical parallelism. You say the same exact thing twice in two halves of the verse. And um, and sometimes you say the opposite, uh, the opposite heaven and earth, but then give ear and hear is, is the same thing. Well, so the Orthodox rabbinical Jews read this verse as a parallelism that says two different things. And the two different things, because we have the two halves of the verse, Moshe commanded, a to- to- literally Torah commanded for us Moshe, inheritance for the congregation of Jacob. So they say the, to- the Torah and the inheritance are two different things. The Torah is the written Torah, the inheritance is the oral Torah. This is what the verse meant to my father. This verse in itself was proof of the doctrine of the oral Torah, of the, of the oral law, which he believed was the second revelation given at Mount Sinai. 
It was later written down in the form of the Mishnah, the Talmud, and the Midrash, but originally it was oral. And that was an inheritance. It wasn't the written Torah. Um, I read this verse a little bit differently. <laughs> I read this verse, so I read this verse differently. I say this verse is um, that this is your typical parallelism where, where each half of the verse refers to the same thing in two different ways. It's just like give ear and hear. Uh, it's not two different things. And the inheritance is the Torah. Not that they're two different things, but the inheritance for the congregation of Jacob is the Torah itself, not a different thing. And I want to read you really briefly from a, a ninth century Karaite uh, scholar named Daniel Kumisi. And he was actually one of the first uh, Jews to return to Jerusalem mm -hmm. uh, in the Middle Ages. He came in around the year 880, and he actually called for other Jews to move to Jerusalem, which was unheard of at the time. And, um, and he created a large, vibrant Jewish community in, in Jerusalem. Um, and he writes as follows. He says, uh, he says, Now the Lord deposited the Torah with Israel and called its name an inheritance for the congregation of Jacob. In other words, it wasn't a, the, the inheritance for the congregation of Jacob is the Torah itself. Mm -hmm. And he says, call this name an inheritance for the congregation of Jacob to inform us that anyone who does commandments of men not from the Torah of the Lord is not from the congregation of Jacob and has no portion with Israel. And the Lord has separated him for evil. So, <laughs> so I love what he's done here. He's taken the verse that the, the, or, that the rabbinical Jews bring as their proof of an oral law, and he's basically explained that it means the exact opposite. That the, con the inheritance for the congregation of Jacob is the Torah. And if you do anything not from the Torah, if you observe what Isaiah 29, 13 calls a, uh, a learned commandment of men or a commandment of men learned by rote, and, and the paraphrase, by the way, is teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's in Matthew mm -hmm. 15. But Isaiah's original is a commandment of men learned by rote. If you observe, if that's your, the way that you worship the creator of the universe, then that's not the inheritance of Jacob. That's not the Torah that God commanded. That's the man-made commandments rather than the true inheritance of the congregation of Jacob, which is the Torah itself. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, it's funny, Jono and Nehemiah, um, one of the things that happens, and I know that this, I don't know how many teachers uh, get, a list, get to listen to this on Torah pearls, and maybe they, maybe they do it um, quietly, secretly, who knows, I don't know. But one of the things that um, I, I think that's, that's really quite phenomenal is that it's actually easier, and I want to, I want to, say this to my uh, my rabbinic brothers and uh, sisters, those that do go by the rabbinic uh, law, it, it actually is easier There it is, the sandpaper. Quote, <laughs> no. It's actually easier to simply quote what someone else says. It's actually easier to quote mm -hmm. like, Rabbi so-and-so says, and Rabbi so-and-so says, and actually I can learn those things. I can memorize those things. And Rabbi so-and-so says, and, and this is something that's that, that was hard for me, uh, Jonah, when I was to tell you the last 10 years to actually think of Judaism not understanding until I meet this this, this bald-headed uh, guy who used to not be bald. I wasn't bald back then. <laughs> uh, he wasn't bald back then, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, you know, if you're Jewish, that means you're Jewish. There's no discussion. You're Jewish. You're not Jewish Karaite or Jewish Reform or Jewish, you know, whatever. You're just Jewish. That's, that's it. And come to find out there are these different thoughts. Well, one of the major ones is, and I know we've talked about this a lot, is the sort of rabbinic, you know, this issue of rabbinic authority, which is a hot topic for Nehemiah. But 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 the same thing happens in uh, Christianity, um, where there are certain teachers or certain levels, certain groups of people who say this is what our thought is about this subject, and so they give all of their information about it, and then you learn it, you quote it as as Bishop so and so says, and as the head of this denomination says. Pretty soon you're tied into what they say, and you're not at all connected to what it says, and mm -hmm. that's why I think ultimately this is so important: is that what is the possession? What is it that, that, that Jacob's been given? It's the Torah. 
It's not. It, it, and let me. Can I get really? Now this is going to sound really radical, but let's just say that Moses is sitting in the tent uh, one evening, and he's had a couple glasses of wine. And Moses says, "Now this is not what. Uh, this is not uh, what. Uh, what Yahovah says, but this is what I say." Sounds like Paul. Paul says, "You know, this is not from 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 the Lord, but this is from me." And if we were to hear that sort of thing, and 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 Moses said, "Listen, this is you know, God didn't say this. In fact, this has got nothing to do with His Torah." But I want to start my own little deal here because I really don't want to go up on Mount Nebo and die. I'm going to start my own denial. <laughs> we would tell Moses, we'd look at Moses and say, Moses, if what you're saying is outside of the word of God and is outside of what, what God says, we've got to put you on the, uh, on, on the, the guillotine also. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this is where this is so important because what Nehemiah has been willing to do, what I'm willing to do, and Jonah certainly what it seems that you're willing to do, and I hope our listeners are willing to do, is to look and see where is it what someone says match Torah. And where it doesn't, we've got to basically say it's it, it's 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 suspect. Mm-hmm. Agreed? Amen. Amen. That's, Amen. Not That's not sandpaper. That's not sandpaper. That's no, 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 I, 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 I agree. Hey, hey, can yeah, I okay. can I now go really off the reservation and, and uh you know cause somebody number three for the show. Okay. So some, <laughs> so some somebody could have heard what I just said and said, Oh well Nehemiah is quoting that because he's a Karite and, and he's quoting this Daniel Kumisi guy who's a Karite. And so he's just blindly following what some Karite said. And uh, I want to show people that's not the case, because I, I want to quote a different Karite who interpreted this in a completely different way, in a way that I don't accept because it's not consistent with Scripture. Um, and I actually wrote a paper that you can probably find on the internet somewhere called Three Karite Approaches to Tradition. And what I show is that there are really three comp- three historic Karite approaches to tradition, it was called. There are three very different approaches that different Karites have had in different times. And what I mean is different people who, who claim to be scripturalists. Karite means a scripturalist of the of the Hebrew Bible, but they had very different approaches. And one of the approaches took this verse in a very similar way to the way the rabbinical Jews did. And uh, and he talked about this idea of inherited tradition. And he said there are certain traditions we've inherited for our from our fathers that we must follow. And what does he quote as proof of this? Let's see. He says uh, he talks about. Uh, Traditions that is transmitted from the Father through inheritance of the sons, as it is written, Moses commanded for us a Torah and inheritance for the congregation of Jacob. Um, and then he goes on to talk about inherited tradition refers to anything that is not explicitly written in the Torah, nor is it similar to that which is written in the Torah, but it is a simple custom that we practice, which continues from our fathers of blessed memory, generation after generation. Um, etc. And he says, we are obligated by these the same as by that which is actually written in the Torah. This is somebody who's, who is identified historically as a Karite Jew and is saying, taking the verse Deuteronomy 33.4 and saying that the inheritance there are the traditions that we follow that we're bound by. Um, now I hear that and I say, well, that's not what I mean when I say I'm a Karite Jew. And that's why I quote Daniel Kumisi from the 9th century because the point is that there have been different things historically that have been identified as being scripturalist, as Karite. And to this day, there are different groups that call themselves Karite who have very different approaches when it comes to this issue of tradition. Um, you know, there's some folks you can find on the internet who will talk about in books you can buy on Amazon.com that, that claim to be uh, Karite books, and they are Karite books. Just they're a different Karite than I'm talking about. And really, it's the difference between you know, if we were to talk about let's say Protestants, and you were to look at Lutherans versus um, 
you know, I don't know, charismatic Christians, you know, I'm the caffeinated Karite, so I'm something very different than, <laughs> than what those liturgical Lutherans are going to be, uh, and they're much more bound by tradition. Um, and some people have want to call me call me the charismatic Karite, but <laughs> depends how much coffee I've had. So, so you know, it's not that I'm just blind in uh, uh, quoting this source because it's a Karite source. The Karite sources that, that I that I'm focusing on are the ones that I see as being consistent with Scripture, and I mm. think that's what I what I'm obligated to do. Not just accept something because somebody said it, who I identify with, but I, de- I identify with him because what he's saying I find in the Hebrew Scriptures. So. Can I can I just step back uh, for a minute? When you were speaking before Nehemiah yeah. about the, um, the the heritage of Jacob, right? Um, it, it it's not that I wasn't paying attention, but it triggered my memory, and I went fishing for a verse, and I'm just wanted to make sure that you brought that, which was Isaiah yeah. 58 verse 14. Did you mention that? I don't think I did. Can you quote that? Can I read it? Let me start from 13. It says, "If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a, a, a delight, the holy day of Jehovah honorable." And shall honor him not doing your own way, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in Jehovah, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of Jehovah has spoken. Mm-hmm. And so, so my question is here in, in Isaiah 58, I think this is the third uh, or fourth that we've quoted from Isaiah already, but the heritage feeds you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, that's, we're talking about the Torah, is that correct? Right. Uh, well, there's a different word. The word in Deuteronomy 33 is morasha, which means uh, something that's inherited, uh, whereas nachalah is an inherited portion. Um, the word in Isaiah 58, 14, it's an inherited portion, like a piece of mm-hmm. land or the, the, the produce that grows on that land. And this may have the literal meaning that, you know, you're on the land and you're going you're gonna, to, you know, and what, what it's talking about here is people would say, look, I've got to go in and harvest my crops. I mean, you know, the crops are in the field. I'm not going to rest for the Sabbath. I mean, I'll lose my crop. Uh-huh. And here he's saying, if you hold back your leg from doing your desire, your desire of that which is forbidden, obviously, um, then, uh, then you're going to be fed from the inheritance of the portion of Jacob. You know, you, you think you need to go and harvest your field on Shabbat to get that inheritance, but if, you, but if you know, the Shabbat will be your delight, and then I'll feed you of the inherited portion um, the, of the land. Um, and he might mean there symbolically, but certainly also mean, he means literally the, the, you know, that which grows in the land. Um, so there it is. Uh, so it's actually a different word there. But I would I do want to read Isaiah twenty nine, uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And look, and all joking aside, this really is one of the twenty six most important verses in the Bible. Uh, and it says, uh, "Wherefore uh, the Lord said, for as this is Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as his people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. And fear is another way of in biblical Hebrew of saying worship." The way they worship me is a precept of men. And I love the uh, the JPS translation. I think it's more accurate. It says, My Lord said, because that people has approached me with his mouth and honored me with its lips, and, and, but has kept its heart far from me, and its worship of me has become a commandment of men learned by rote. Mm-hmm. In other words, the way Israel is worshiping Yehovah is by their own man-made rules and regulations. They're praying all day long, and they're mumbling words, and they're reciting uh, liturgy. But the way they worship him is a commandment of men learned by rote. It's not what he commanded, and it's not really from the heart. So, Nehemiah, you say that's that really is one of your favorite verses? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, top five? I would say this is the top. Yeah, top five. I'll give you Excellent. that. Excellent. So, you know, I've got this. My rabbi over in the New Testament loves that verse. Uh-huh. And uh, it's my understanding that you actually wrote a book that, that relates to this verse. Am, am I correct? Right. Well, so can so, you yeah. tell the folks about this? 
So there's the book, The Hebrew Yeshua versus the Greek Jesus, and I, and I uh, look at uh, some of these issues as they're understood in the New Testament. And there, uh, uh, in the New Testament, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, he quotes that verse, Isaiah 29, 13, in reference to the Pharisees. Of course, Isaiah was talking about the people of his day, but has other applications historically. Matthew 15, 7, he says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And that's that's a paraphrase, that last part, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. What he literally says there is, Mitzvat anashim ilumada, the commandments of men uh, learned by rote, learned by repetition. And, uh, and the point is they have these man-made rules and regulations that they, they do over and over and over, and that becomes their inheritance rather than the Torah. They're worshiping God through their own man-made created inheritance rather than the, the inheritance that God gave us, the Torah itself. Amen. Right, Amen. It's also quoted, in, uh, also quoted in Mark 7, uh, 6 and 7. All right, getting back to the Torah portion. How about that? So, there it is. First five. <laughs> first five. And, he, and he, here again uh, is Yeshurun. And he was king in Yeshurun when the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Mm-hmm. And then it begins with the uh, with the each king. of the, the tribes. He is the king. Yehovah is king. Okay. Amen. So, so Amen. let me say something. Uh, we're about to do this section, and I thought about I thought about you today, Jono, because um, you know he's he's about to do something. We, you know, we dealt with this at the end of uh, Bereshit in Genesis, where where we're de- dealing with the blessing of the different the different sons uh, of Jacob, but. One of the things that I thought about is I just thought, uh, it's like Moses, um, how can I put this? It's like Moses, um, he does the Keith Johnson here. He takes the sandpaper and he smooths it all out. He kind of does. It. I mean, he's, it's much more gentle than much Jacob. Much more Jacob gentle is- than Jacob and he smooths it all out. And so I'm kind of looking yeah. forward to this. There's a couple of things in here that are kind of cool. But I thought about your kids. And, and you know, if you were to, if you were to go down the, the list, I think you've got a daughter and two sons. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and if you thought of the, uh, their personalities and and what they represent, and maybe you're, you you and Hani, and by the way, Hani is back from Israel by now. It's my understanding. She hope she had a wonderful trip. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, you you would you would sit down and you'd say, and then to my son, you know, this is the deal, and, and that's back with Jacob. But then I wonder what the PR would just be, generally be about them if someone else were to talk about them. So it's like that's you know, you have question. Jacob and his. You know, in other words, here's here's Jacob and his sons. Now here's Moses talking about the sons. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of a, it's kind of, you know what it's like, it is, it's like, it's like the, yeah. the parents, uh, Jacob is like kind of, well, it is, it's the parents talking about that, their, their sons, but yeah. this is the grandparents. This is kind of like the grandparents and the grandparents always have a sugar coated view of their, gra- their, <laughs> okay, their grandchildren, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or the neighbor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, All right, let's go. So this is what it is. Let Reuben, this is, okay, so Reuben, let Reuben live and not die. I bet he was relieved. Nor let his men be few. And uh, this he said of Judah, Hear, O Yehovah, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be a help against his enemies. Mm-hmm. Amen. Okay. Okay. Amen to Judah. Amen. So let me say this before you go any further. I, I, I do think it is kind of interesting, though. I mean, I, you know, I'm just kind of looking at the big picture here. So I'm looking at the big picture here, and and so Moses is about to do his last uh, his last speech here. He's going to talk about each one. He says uh, two lines for Reuben, let him live and not die. He says uh, four lines for Judah, and then he gets to Levi, and it goes a little further. Go ahead. <laughs> it does a little bit. I think he's got some got a bit of family. You're, you're uh, not saying that Moses the Levite stuck, stuck some stuff in here for his people. Did, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying. You know, maybe maybe did, he had a did he pat it? <laughs> it's a little bit padded. It's a little bit padded. And of Levi, he said, "Let your Turman and your Urim." 
Be with your be with your holy one, whom you tested at Massah, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah. Wait, can we stop there? Does everybody know what Urim and Tumim are? Have we talked about this? We, we've talked about that. The breastplate so, so and re- the just to remind yeah. the people to go back to the sections. Uh, it's an Exodus and it's in Numbers. The Urim and the Tumim is part of the breastplate of judgment, and it's some type of a prophetic device. That, mm. Mo- that the that the that the high priest would use and would continue to use even after Moses, uh, in Numbers twenty-seven, uh, God commands uh, Joshua to stand before the high priest and He says, "If you have any questions, ask of the of the judgment of the Urim." So, in other words, through the high priest's breastplate of judgment containing the Urim of Tumim, he can get the word of God when he has questions of how to observe the Torah and what to do. Uh, there's where you can get the prophetic answers, and Ezra 2.63 talks about that as well, and that's all I'll say. And, and the reason it's mentioned here is that it's worn by the high priest who is uh, from Aaron, and Aaron, of course, is a Levite, and hence why uh, it's mentioned in the blessing of late. Yeah. Le- so uh, appointed, appointed instruments for uh, decision-making, I suppose. Amen. And, um, and so it says, uh, and for, here it is, Levi, who says, now I don't understand this bit, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers, or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. I've got no yes, idea what chapter pop, pop, over, pop over to Exodus 32. And Exodus this, is the, 32. this is the passage that describes the, um, the, the sin of the golden calf. And the Hebrew, I don't know what it is in English, but in the Hebrew it's verses 26 through 29. Maybe you can read that, because that explains it. And look, so here's poetry, and poetry very often has little codes and symbols, and you mm-hmm. know these are allusions to things that you're supposed to know about. You know, it, it, they're, they're, they're uh, symbolic sometimes, and they're, they're a little... So this, this occurred to me, this occurred to me, yeah. but then I thought, no, it can't be that. Let me read it first anyway. So, yeah. then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on Jehovah's side, come to me, and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him, and he said to them, Thus says Jehovah, God of Israel, let every man put on his sword on his side and go out into the uh, entrance, uh, from entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And then Moses said, consecrate yourselves today for, uh, and so on and so forth. So, whoa, whoa, whoa not so on and so forth. Finish the verse. Oh, okay, okay. So then Moses said, consecrate yourselves today to Yehovah that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother. No, that's a good point. There right. it is. So, so here he's... Okay, hang on, hang on. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Keith, you're, you're, Keith, yes. you're blowing into your microphone. No, I'm you're doing the Darth Vader thing. You're, you're doing the Darth Vader. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm not doing anything. It's kind of I'm watching so it light up when you're breathing out. <laughs> you're <Really>? there going. <laughs> Whether it's, I'm just telling you. It's never move your microphone. Time. Never it. said it's the last time. You're just you're you're, you're causing me problems. What? Are you, <laughs> I've never done anything like this. I'm just letting you know. All right, so. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'll stop. That's breathing. all right. That's all right. Okay, so so <laughs> you just stop breathing. <laughs> okay, so when I was looking this um, uh, Nehemiah, they they've got uh, um, that you know. Okay, so this is addition, additional information. What you're telling me is that they strapped on their sword, they went through, and it wasn't like when I read their brother, I I think their brethren, right, their fellow Israelite. Oh, wow. They might have been but, literally his brother or his cousin. It might have been literally, but it's not only literally his his brother and his cousin. Or it says here his father, his mother, mm-hmm. uh, his well, his brothers, even that. his own children. Right. So, the, so the thing that it translated in um, uh, Exodus thirty two uh, twenty seven, yours it translated to his neighbor. In Hebrew, it's Kolvo, 
literally his close one, that means his kinsman, mm-hmm. meaning his, his, his blood relative. So mm-hmm. they were killing their neighbors and they were killing their blood. If they found out you worship the idol, and, you know, and I, and I always read this and I say, 3,000? There's 3 million people in Israel at the time, approximately. 600,000 males. And, um, you know, they say that approximately, uh, the estimate is there was maybe 3 million people out of, six, you know, 600,000 is just males who can go to war. You've got mm-hmm. the children and you've got the women. Let's say it's 2 million, whatever it is, 2 million, 3 million people. And only 3,000 died. I always read that story. And, in, and until a certain event happened uh, 11 years ago, I never really understood the significance of 3,000 dying. Um, <clears throat> you know, and then, in, in, uh, then we had 9-11 happen, and I realized, wow, America at the time had 300 million people, and 3,000 died. And think of the impact it had on, on, the, United, on the world, really, sure. not just the U.S. And here they had 3 million people, and 3,000 died. Can Very you imagine the impact on, on that on the people? And some of those were their brothers and their sisters and their mothers, their parents and their children, their parents and their children. And um, and look, we had read earlier in Deuteronomy: if your if your closest relative comes to you and tells you to worship idols, you've got hmm. to turn them in. Yep. And that was uh, uh, commanding in abstract terms what what had been carried out in practice hmm. at the golden calf. And this is why. Um, this is why God chose the tribe of, of Levi, essentially, because they were the ones who were willing to do that. And I love that phrase, "Me la Yehovah Eli, whoever is uh, to Yehovah, come to me, to me, mm. uh, in, uh, in uh, Exodus thirty-two twenty-six. Me la Yehovah Eli, whoever is to Yehovah, come to me. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and so they actually they didn't just stand up and, and uh, go to the altar call. They came to the altar call and strapped on their swords, and they mm-hmm. went out and did they needed to do that's serious that, stuff that's that's powerful stuff that's I mean, serious wow. stuff so it goes on uh, as he says to levi they shall they they shall teach jacob your judgments and israel your lord they shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar now can i just stop for a second i've heard people say well i can't i i'm, I'm not at liberty to teach you. i'm going to step down from ministry or whatever it may be i can't teach anyone anything about the bible because i'm not a levite then, then there's the opposite where people say uh I'm teaching Torah, and therefore I am a Levite. <laughs> yeah, that's true when they're not. Right. <laughs> right. There's that. folks like us that say, because I'm teaching Torah and I'm a Levite, got to, you know. Okay, so now, now you're too far away from your microphone, Keith. <laughs> I, I, this, is, this is really a problem, folks. I, I, I apologize. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry, mate. All right, so um, verse 11. Bless his substance, Lord. Bless his substance, Yehovah. And accept the work of his hands, strike the ouch, strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. Wow. Of, of Benjamin, of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all day long and he shall dwell between his shoulders. What does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? It's like a, a kid on his, on, his, uh, on his back, like a piggyback on, on the back of his dad. So I, I maintain that, that this is prophetic, that Moses in this blessing knew which portion uh, Jacob, or excuse me, which portion Benjamin would have, mm-hmm. and Benjamin, uh, the portion that Benjamin eventually got in the book of Joshua is a mountainous region with lots of deep gorges, and I believe that's what it's talking about here, about dwelling between the valleys, excuse me, between the shoulders, that's between these cliffs. Sure. And, um, and when he says he shall dwell in safety uh, near him or by him, literally upon him, uh, what I think that re- is referring to is, uh, is Jerusalem, where the temple uh, was built, the temple of Yehovah. And the significance of that is, is, you know, most people think, oh, you know, Jerusalem is in the portion of Judah, but that's not correct. Jerusalem, biblically, was in the portion of Benjamin, 
It was actually just on the border, over the border on the side of Benjamin. And that's why uh, David chose that as his, cap- as his capital, or one of the reasons, is that mm-hmm. it had a political significance. So the, the pr- king before David had been from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul and his son Ishbosheth. And, uh, and so to win over the tribe of Benjamin, he, he, he put his, his capital directly on the border between his tribe Judah and Benjamin over into the side of Benjamin, giving mm-hmm. them honor of having the capital in their territory. And uh, and so there was a political significance of that, and I, and I believe that's what it's saying here. That's possibility, you know. I don't know for sure, but I think that's what it's saying here is he will that's, dwell in yeah. safety upon him. Sure. So, so that's to, uh, Judge, Pete. Oh, no, oh, no. Look, look, it's so it's so amazing. Is is it not amazing how how your mind works? Like Hemi was talking about this, say five years ago, or seven years ago, or ten years ago, and he says, you know, and that's why he put the the capital on the on the border of Benjamin and. and so for me now, it's like where I live in, in, in Australia. When we talk about Australia, Nehemi and I have an image of Australia, but we, you know, I've been to Australia, but we haven't been to your house. We certainly haven't been to Tasmania. So we, we, we Wait, have an image. Jonas right? from Tasmania? No, no, I'm saying we haven't been to Tasmania. <laughs> that, was a, that was a referral but refer, oh. reference back to earlier. Oh, that was a callback. So, but the point right. is that, so when we're talking, you've never been to where I live. I've been to Nehemia's apartment. Nehemi has been to my house. I've been mm-hmm. to Iris' house where Nehemi is as the wandering Jew. I know the room that he's in that he's talking about. We don't know where you're at. We see pictures of you, and depending on if your beard is long or short, we're not sure. But we, 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 we have an idea that you've got these earphones and you've got this, this microphone. Here's what's so cool about what Nehemi just did. He just casually says, yes, you know, and this is, why the, this is where the capital is, and, and it's why he put it in Benjamin and why it's connected to, to Judah. Now, for me, I've been there enough times. I have that picture. There are some people that are listening that just have no clue what he's talking about unless they look on a map. And even if you look on a map, you still can't see the significance of this. What am I getting ready to say? This is what's going to be so cool. Even if a person doesn't go, we're going to be breaking truth to you over to Israel to try to explain to people through pictures and through sound and video and the best that we can for people to experience this. Because when you see it, when you see the picture of it, it just comes alive. Nehemiah sort of can take this as a bit for granted. He knows what it looks like. He walks the streets of Jerusalem. He, he, his apartment is, you know, how far from, from, from the old city, Nehemiah? I've walked there on, on Shabbat, like 20 minutes or something like that. 40-minute walk, 35-minute walk. Maybe for you it's 20 minutes. It takes me 40. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, Jono, when, you, when you're there, you're going to remember this and you're going to see it, and it's going to make a whole lot more sense to you. Mm. So for those that want to come with us, please go to the, 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 the tab right there. We still may have room, 3T tour. To Israel, we're going to be over in this area. We're going to see what David did. We're going to see Jerusalem. We're going to see Benjamin. We're going to pick the places that we're going to be able to come to when the redemption comes. Here's the land we're going to live in. <laughs> we're going to spy out the land, and it's going to be a mm. blessing. So those that haven't signed up or are interested, please get the information. If there's room, we'd love to have you. Be be quick, be quick, because uh, it, if it's not full already, it will be soon. And it's uh, the if you see the Israeli flag on truthtoyou.org on the there right-hand side, uh, click on that. It'll take you there. Otherwise, uh, you can also go to hishallowednames.com, and there is a, uh, a subheading of three T's tour. You can click on that. It will give you the details. Looking forward to that, my friend, most certainly. Now, and, while, and while you're over there on truthtoyou.org, click on the thing with the pandas because Keith still needs a ticket to Israel. <laughs> yeah, now, speaking I'm going to wait till later to do my promo on that. All right, we're going to talk about that later, but let's not forget about that. So that was Levi. Levi's a little bit long. Benjamin's a bit short, but uh, Keith, can, would you read out uh, from uh, verse I'm so 13? Glad you asked me to do this. I'm so 13 glad to 17. So about Joseph, he said, May the Lord bless his hand, land with the precious dew from heaven above and with the deep waters 
uh, that lie below. With the best the sun brings forth and the finest the moon can yield, with the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth in its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush, let all those rest on the head, uh, these rest on the head of Joseph, on the bow of the prince among his brothers, and majesty is like a firstborn bull, his horns are the horns of a wild ox, with them he, uh, he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim, such are the thousands of Manasseh. And, and when I, you know, I'm so glad you asked me to read this, because there's a line in here that really, really, really blessed me. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there's this line in here that really blessed me. And I have to, I'm going to leave the farm now, like Nehemiah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to take oh. a spin to card. Because when I found this verse, I was actually studying something else. And, of course, you can imagine it had to do with the name of God. And I want to say something to folks, too. If if by now we're at the end of Torah pearls, I'm actually in a place right now where I can actually say, I can say this with Nehemiah on the phone, Jonah, you've been a part of this. You know, these three T's that I've been dealing with, the time, Mm -hmm. the Torah, the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God, each of those T's I've worked diligently on. And what's so cool about the one as it pertains to Tetragrammaton is that I can actually say now, Jono, I can say over these last years with Nehemiah writing his book with the Solid name revealed again, which is what I wrote, the way that we've done the Open Door series, just all this stuff. I can actually look at that and say, you know what? I have really dug into this issue of the name of God. And I think if you mm-hmm. ask people about me and that have heard about me, they'd say, oh, that's the guy who's dealing with something about the four letters and Nehemiah and, and oh, he's connected with it. And so that's becoming the deal. Now, let me say something. When I was doing that study, there's this really cool thing that I found that really, really blessed me, and it's in the book. And it has to do with this simple word that in English we wouldn't even see as anything significant. It says, and he's talking about Joseph, and he says here, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. Now, when you see that, what do you think, Jono? Okay, we'll hold well, off on Nehemiah because I'm going I'm to let him let him say. Can, well, let, let me read. Can I read verse 16 with what I've got, uh, sure. uh, Keith? Because this is a little bit. This, this is what it says in 16 in mine. Uh, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Uh-huh. I don't have the burning bush. I've oh, got they, the they added the word burning. They add the it, word it, burning. It, but let me t- hold on, Nehemiah. Here's what they did. that's so powerful. What they did that's so powerful is I'm looking through this now. I'm just doing my study, and I'm looking for the word bush. And, of course, I think I think that it's something like 18 times in the Old Testament. The word mm-hmm. bush is like 18 times, okay? But mm-hmm. there's seven different Hebrew words used for one English word bush. There is a word that Moses uses, and he's exclusive for this word. This word is used six times in the Bible, five times in the burning bush narrative, and one other time. The one other time, Moses is the only one that uses this word, it's actually in this verse. Now, here's where I get really, really excited. And I'm going to let Nehemiah talk because this should be exciting to him, too. It might even get a shout out of him. So when you hear the word bush, you see bush, 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 bush. And I don't give you all the Hebrew words, but there's seven of them. The last one, as I mentioned, is the one that Moses uses. Mm -hmm. So this word that he uses is here. So I'm doing my study at the burning bush and about the name and all these sort of things. I go to Deuteronomy and boom, I see this verse. And what does it say? And I want Nehemiah to read it in Hebrew. With the best gifts of the earth in its fullness and the favor of him who, and here's the English word, who dwelt in the bush. The NIV adds burning. They don't mm-hmm. add burning for you. But they realize that this is the same bush that Moses talked about. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah. Would you read that line in Hebrew? You want me to read the whole Joseph passage or just specifically? No, don't. I'm giving you one line, Nehemiah. 16. The second part 16. of 16 in Hebrew. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to read the whole verse. 
ומימגד ארץ ומלואה, ורצון שוכני סנה. אובוי. Can you say that word again? Before you said סנה? שוכני. שוכני. אוקיי, נחמיה. Let's do a quick little Hebrew study. Folks, bear with us, it's our last Torah portal. נחמיה, ג'ונו's going to shout on this one. Can you tell us what that word means right before סנה? The word שוכני is a poetic form of שוכן, and it means the one who dwells. Or, uh-huh. or dweller. What's the root of that word? Shachen, uh, uh, or the, the peel for Lishaken. Shachen, uh-huh. and of course that's where you get the word. Well, you're probably going with this, or should I let you go Come with on, it? Man. Come on, brother. All right. It's where we get the word Shachina. Uh, uh-huh. Yes, the Shachina! Oh, glory! Right, so it's, it's called Shachina, the, the indwelling, the presence of... Of the creator of the universe, Christians call it Shekinah glory, the, uh, the, um, which is just the Hebrew word, Shekinah. Uh, and so here it is Shochni, the one who dwells in the, in the bush. He's the dweller, the indweller. So is the combination of those two words found in the other six places, Keith? The other, six, the other five are actually in the narrative about the burning bush. So yeah. when, you're, when you're reading about the burning bush, this is the word you know, you use, sneh, the, the, this, this, this is the only time that this, this word is used. But what, what caught my attention was so this word is reserved for the bush where whatever you want to say the angel of Yehovah the presence of Yehovah that was in the bush that spoke to Moses this bush is reserved for that wow. this bush that we just simply read by in English is reserved for where he 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 dwelt it's I mean it's it's the glory Jono I mean this is the kind of thing that if we were in in your old church back in the old days and we had this verse and I had my Bible and We'd have a fire-breathing, shouting, dancing, singing. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you a secret. Jono used to dance and shout when he did this kind of thing. Am I right, Jono? Hey, hey, I, don't can, that, I don't know that Jono used to dance, but anyway, yeah. Can, can, can I point out that, that, and I think we probably mentioned this in earlier Torah Pearls, mm-hmm. that this word, sne, which is unique to the burning bush. There's no other bush in the whole Bible that's called sne. Um, there are other words, as Keith said, six other words or so, whatever they are for bush. But this word is unique to the burning bush, and it's, it's so important that it actually gave its name to the mountain where, where uh, Moses had the revelation. Because the real name of that mountain is Mount Chorev, but Moses called it Sinai. Sinai comes from the word Sneh. It's the same root. Um, and uh, so essentially he's calling it Mount Bush, the mountain of my bush. That's what Mount Sinai means. And like I said, the real name of the mountain is Horev, and it's you know, a name that's given many times, but Sinai is the mountain of my bush. And so that's how significant. So the one who dwells at Sinai, the one who dwells at the bush at Sinai, uh, the Shekinah, the Shekinah, yeah, that's pretty important. Can I, am I allowed to shout? Ira told me I'm not allowed to shout. He says only Keith is allowed to shout. You're the Jew. They want you to be the intellectual, Nehemia. They don't want you to be excited. You must speak like this. Yes, Sna and Sinai come from the same roots. And I'm not allowed to get excited. Oh, I can't hold it back. I am excited. Shekhinah of Sinai. Hallelujah. I tried. I tried to hold it back. <laughs> this, this, is, this, is this is why this is so exciting for me. And, and this is really what I want to tell folks that, 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 again, please, please, everyone, bear with me on this. Just bear with me on this. I, this these are the kind of things that make me stand up and walk away from my Bible. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of things that make me stand up and walk away when I'm, when I'm studying. And, and I am not doing the kind of thing you talked about earlier where we're just picking out a phrase and picking out a word and picking out a concept and putting together a, a teaching. This is not a teaching. This is the word of God. This is what Moses wrote. This information that we just talked about, 
This is not, you know, the 1995 version. You know, if you do this, I'll give you a secret. This is what's right in the Hebrew text. And I'm telling you, Jonah, when I, when I, when I, when I connected the burning bush to this word and then found out about the, like what, wait, what I used to call the Shekinah glory, but this thought of the dwelling, the resting mm. of mm. the presence of the creator of the universe and that Moses would use this word. I mean, he's speaking. And I guarantee you, those Hebrews, those that understood the language, when mm. they heard him say that word, they knew what it meant. And we're so disconnected, we don't know. And so in mm. English, seven different Hebrew words for one word, bush. We would have missed it, but we slowed down like Moses. And let me finish. We, no, let's hold on now, just a second. Just a minute now. Now, just a second. I don't do this often. It's the last time. We're out there doing our little Torah pearls. We're having a good old time. And all of a sudden, we looked over and saw something that looked a little different. A little strange. It was a fire that was burning. And we did what Moses did and what we've been doing for 54 sessions. We slowed down. We turned aside. We walked over and look, there's a bush that's burning, but it is not consumed. And why is it not consumed? Because it's the fire that's in the bush. It's the fire of Yehovah that's there. And then he goes and he looks over and he does what we've been doing all this entire year. We slow down. We take a look, a second look to see what it might be. And then he says, when Yehovah noticed that Jono and Nehemiah and Keith slowed down, he spoke and said, Jono, Nehemiah, and Keith. And then we say, yes, take off your sandals because the place you're standing is holy. holy it's breath. the place where he is. And this is what Moses is, is, is showing people. He's saying, look at this bush. Now I'm talking about Joseph, back to the Torah portion. This bush, I'm talking about Joseph. This, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I have to walk away from the radio show. I'm going to put the radio down. I'm going to hang it. <laughs> and I'm going to walk away. This is, i got to walk away. No, outside. he does this. <laughs> Keith's off doing a dance. And hey, can, can, can I just really briefly, if we're talking about Shekinah glory, you know, I hear that and, and it sounds, you know, almost funny to me because I know in Hebrew it's Shekinat Kavod, the dwelling of the Kavod, of the glory. And uh, and I'm sure we've talked about this or maybe not, but it, Exodus 24:17 it says, "And the and the appearance of the glory of Yehovah was like a burning fire, a consuming hmm. fire, at the top of the mountain before the eyes of the sons of Israel." And then uh, a number of other places that talk about this kavod uh, in Exodus 33:18, uh, and he said, "Show me, please, your kavod, your glory." And there's the scene where, where he passes by in verse 22. People can read it themselves in Exodus 33. And uh, Exodus 40, verse 34, and, and, the, and the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the mm. glory of Jehovah filled the tabernacle. So this glory, mm. this kind of glory, the, the, the dwelling, the presence, I mean, essentially Jews translate this as the presence of Jehovah. It's something about God that we can perceive and interact with. Um, you know, God is this infinite being, but the kavod, the shekhinah, the indwelling, his, the spirit of Yehovah is something that we can interact with and feel in some way in his mm. presence. So, mm. Amen. Um, Amen. Hey, so if Keith is away, I, I want to really – is he back? Okay. Oh, man. I'm back, guys. He's back. He's back. I was on a roll. Hey, I've opened up uh, the Leningrad Codex, mm -hmm. and people can actually go online and download the entire Leningrad Codex. It's like 750 me megabytes, or so it's really a big file. And on page 243 of the PDF files is a scan of the Leningrad Codex. We have the, this passage that we're looking at, and in the middle column, if people count down one, two, three, four, uh, five lines from the top of the middle column on page 243 of the of the PDF of the Aleppo Codex. Um, what they'll find 
is uh, it, it, that's the blessing of Benjamin. It says, Ubinyamin Amar Yedid and, and you could read in Keith's book, His Hallowed Name Revealed Again, and in my book, Chattering Conspiracy of Silence, we talk about how in the manuscripts, it doesn't have the full vowels of God's name. A vowel was left out. But one of the places where the scribes slipped up and let the secret out and put in the full vowels is in this passage uh, where it says, uh, he is a friend of, of Yehovah. He is, uh, uh, it, and, and the other place is one, like I said, uh, six lines from the top. Then if you go seven, eight, eight lines from the top, it says, Uli Yosef Amar, and concerning Joseph, he said, Mavorechet Yehovah Artso, blessed of Yehovah is his land. And there, the last word on that line of line eight of page 243 in the middle column is the name Yehovah with full vowels. And if you can read Hebrew, it's very clear, unmistakable that it has the full vowels twice in this passage, two witnesses. Really? Yeah. And Keith, I believe, at the back of his book, his hallowed name revealed again, has a list of 50 of the places in the Leningrad Codex. Yes. Is that right, Keith? There it is. That's right. And come to find out, and these are two of them. Ira Michelson has found the 51st uh, example in the Leningrad, and we appreciate there Ira for that. Awesome. Thank you, Ira. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Where are, okay, Zebulun. This is yes. we're up to verse 18. And Zebulun, he gets a short one too. Zebulun, uh, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out. That's it. And Issachar, in your tents. They, uh, they shall call the peoples to the mountain. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, but they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and treasures hidden in the sand. It's mysterious. Now, now this is very mysterious, but can I tell you the, um, the uh, traditional uh, rabbinical interpretation of this passage of verse, of verse 18? And this is mid- Midrash. Midrash is very often means uh, it's a certain way of looking at Scripture and um, not to be confused with Midrash meaning to study. That's a term that many people will use to Midrash or to Drash. But here's Midrash being used in the sense of stories and homilies and, and uh uh, very often non-literal interpretations, um, symbolic interpretations. So the way the rabbis read this verse is they said, why did Zvulun, Zebulun, he went out, but Issachar, Yisachar, he, he sat in the tents. Hmm. And so they said the name Yisachar comes from the word Sachar, re- reward. And if you look at the original context, she talks about how she rented her husband. Sachar could mean to rent, but it also means reward. So Yisachar could mean there is reward. And so they said, the guy who dwelt in the tent, he was sitting there in his tent studying Torah, and he had an agreement with Zvulun, with Zebulun. Zvulun would go out and do the work, and Yisachar would sit in the tent and study, and uh, Yisachar would get the produce, the, the benefit of Zvulun's work. He would get the support, and Zvulun would get the reward that Yisachar got for studying the Torah. And so they had this symbiotic relationship. This is the... Traditional interpretation, I'm not saying that's what it means, but I think it's an interesting idea of this kind of symbiosis between, you know, there's a guy who, who he's been called to, to, uh, to work the fields, he's been called to labor, uh, he, you know, he's not an intellectual, he can't read necessarily, and the other guy, you know, he's, he's not very physically capable, but he's got a good head on his shoulders and he can, you know, uh, he, he's a bookworm and, and the two of them create this symbiotic yeah, so relationship. I've, I've heard similar things uh, um speculation in regards to Jacob and Esau, that Jacob was uh, a hunter out in the field, that Esau, it says, dwells in tents, right? There it is. No, 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 you get that backwards. (laughs) What? (laughs) What did I say? Esau doesn't dwell in tents, Esau goes out and hunts. No, he says Jacob dwells in tents and Esau went out in the field, that's what he said. No, read and see what he said on the radio, ladies and gentlemen, Jono said, (laughs) I just get it in my mind because I knew what he meant. (laughs) And isn't that the point? (laughs) 
There it is. <laughs> you knew what I meant. You knew what I meant. Anyway, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, so it, it's a cute idea. Okay, and of Gad, he said, "Blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He who dwells as lion and tears the arm and the crown of his head. He provided the first part for himself because a law giver's portion was reserved there. He came with the heads of the people. Uh, he administered the justice of Jehovah and his judgments." With Israel. Now, that, that confused me a little bit because when we think about the lawgiver and we think of Jacob's blessing, we think of Judah, right? Uh, well, Judah is certainly the, um, you know, gets the blessing of being the king mm. uh, over in, uh, you know, in, in Genesis, what is it, 49. But mm. yeah, this is a mysterious passage. I'm really, like, a lot of these things, I mean, look, so we don't know that much about Reuben. <laughs> you know, Reuben kind of disappears from history almost. And that's why, you know, he says, well, let Reuben live, you know. <laughs> All right. We don't really know much more about that. That and uh, you know, and, and what do we really know about God? Uh, you know, Gad, God, hmm. uh, not all that much. Um, you know, and I'm just looking here. I did a quick search to see if God is mentioned anywhere in the Book of Judges, and He's not even mentioned once. Because, like, my, my my natural inclination would be to say, okay, He'll He'll judge the people that you know, and and uh, have the righteousness of Jehovah He will do, and the judgments of the uh, with Israel. So maybe he was a judge, but we don't know of any judges from the tribe of God. Hmm, so uh, and God kind of almost disappears. He go he's across the the river. You know, there's the two and a half tribes: Reuven, God, and half the tribe of Manasseh are in Transjordan on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Mm -hmm. um, and they God kind of disappears. We don't really know. Much, and Reuben also kind of disappears. We don't really know much about either of them after yeah, yeah. after they inherit their portion. And uh, of Dan, he said, "Dan is a lion's whelp." He shall leap from Bashan, and of Nat and that's Dan. And of Natali, he said, "Oh, Natali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of Jehovah, possess the west and the south." That's nice. Again, back to this idea of the land of Israel. Um, it, it's it's really interesting. In Charlotte, um, there are some things that you can say without giving definition. Okay, so in 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 Australia, I bet you there are some things you can say out, out in the outback. For example, there's that mountain. You know that mountain that kind of sticks up in the outback. The what's that called, uh, Jono? Um, um, the famous. <laughs> no, the what's what the most famous? What's the most famous? What? What's the most famous mountain in um, in? Um, he's talking, in, in he's talking about uh, Illaru, the 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 rock. I'm asked the rock. There it is. There it is. Uluru. Okay, you just did exactly what I wanted. Illaru. Yeah, it's a not name. it's not a it's not a mountain. It's a rock. <laughs> Jono, let me do my Uluru. thing. So the, it's the point. Okay, so the point is everyone in Australia knows – are you talking about the rock? And, and if you live in Australia, you know the rock. And what does he do here? It says here, and he will inherit southward to the lake. Now, what lake is he talking about, Nehemiah? It says in, in the NIV, it says, and he will inherit southward to the lake. No, so it, sa so it says, Yam vidarom yirasha, which, which means west and south he will inherit. Now, the Hebrew word for west also literally means sea. So sea and south he will inherit. And uh, I would understand that sea is possibly being – well, I mean, look, so Israel has four seas. We've got the Mediterranean. We've got the, um, the uh, Sea of Galilee or the Kinneret, which is actually a, a lake, um, and uh, it's a freshwater lake. We've got the Dead Sea, and we've got the Red Sea. So presumably it means the Mediterranean. So but I'm maybe not. Who knows? Maybe it just I'm means trying, west. I'm trying to give you guys hang points on, for the NIV. Hang on. Let me, no, 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 let me get this right. The NIV, the NIV is or calling the, the Mediterranean. The NIV is calling the Mediterranean a lake, right? Southward to no. So <laughs> the NIV obviously understands this to refer to um, to uh, the the Kinneret, the Sea of Galilee, which is okay. probably right. Which also could be right. right. Okay. Okay. 
Because Naphtali definitely touched upon the Sea of Galilee. There it is. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Which isn't really a sea; it's a lake. I mean, but Hebrew doesn't have a word. Hebrew doesn't have a word for lake. Biblical Hebrew doesn't have a word for lake. Everything is every body of water is a sea. Uh Another point to the NIV. And of Asher, he said, "Asher is most blessed." I just want to stop for a second. Here, I finally get a chance to put the the, the NIV, and it's been my Bible. I I memorized from this Bible. This is the Bible (laughs) I've used in my entire. "Quote unquote Christian life." I mean, when my when I when I heard about the NIV, I thought I was reading, you know, from my neighborhood. It was smooth and it was it was English language. And, and every once in a while, it does something good. And here I tried to bring it forward. And and Jono's looking at the whether I'm breathing or not. And Nehemi is eating something. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. No, I'm not eating. To, no, you were doing something a, else. Was I was looking up a verse. Okay. Okay. I'm a bad. <laughs> Mine doesn't say like. It says west. Right, because the Hebrew word that means west can also mean sea. But the NIV is doing what it does best. It's taking its interpretation and trying to help the reader. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We all acknowledge point for the NIV. Thank you. (laughs) The NIV and point for Moses having to die up on the mountain. (laughs) We're getting there really soon. Asher, he said, Asher is, is, is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. That's interesting. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze. Uh, as your days, so shall your strength be. Dip Stop. your foot in oil. Keith. The, the sandals of your gates? No, no, the, 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 let, your sandals shall be iron and bronze. That's what I've got. Oh, no, no, no. We got a problem here. We got an NIV problem. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze. That'd be really uncomfortable sandals. Right. So here okay. again, you know, we have poetry. We and poetry to get on this first. So poetry can often be translated in different ways. And we've got the word minalecha which uh, some people understand to be a lock, and others understand it to refer to shoes, <laughs> your, your footwear. And uh, which one it is, I don't know. It's subject to interpretation. Um, to be honest, to be honest, when I saw that he dipped his feet in oil and then his shoes were made of bronze and you know, iron, it kind of sounded like a bad combination to me, so I'm going with Gates. Okay. Very well could be. There you go. They weren't squeak. I'd like to read verse 26. Go on. So I love it when he does this. He says, there is no one like God of Jeshurun, who rides mm-hmm. on the heavens to help you. And on the Behold, your- he comes riding oh, on the clouds, shining so like no, the trumpet. I was about please, to introduce please. my song, and now I won't introduce my song. No, don't sing the song. But here's the point. What I, what I love is, again, you know, now we're, we're, we've seen this word for Israel. But we've sure. seen it in this poetic form, I, and, I and now it's Israel is the wrong pronunciation. It's Yishurul. <laughs> He's still on that whole thing. So here's the point, though. Now we see it, and so if I'm reading in the last two portions, you know, we're reading it. We see this word. Okay, now it's becoming something that we understand that that that, that he means Israel. But if we were just, you know, if I was just standing in in my you know congregation or fellowship, and I'm just looking at this one verse, I don't know what this means. I got no note. There's no little. There's no little A or little B or anything like this. I don't know what this is. I mean, it's just kind of interesting. Go ahead. You know, Keith and I have actually been invited to come and speak at a, a legitimate Jewish synagogue in New Jersey called, of all things, B'nai Yeshurun, the Sons of Jeshurun, uh, which is a common name for synagogues throughout the world. Um, so you know, because Jews hear Yeshurun, we know that means Israel. That's you know, like it doesn't need a note. But see, isn't that interesting? I would have no, like, for example, uh, Jono, 
you know, having not done done the the Torah pearls and 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 kind of seeing this and Moses using this in the way that he uses it. In fact, when Nehemiah, in fact, whatever the date of this this program is, we should be within a couple of weeks of actually going and speaking in this synagogue, which I'm really excited about because anytime we get a chance to really cross borders, you know, that's when the spiritual border patrol get real nervous. What's Uh-oh. a Methodist doing with a Karite in a in a in a uh, Orthodox synagogue or whatever kind of synagogue? It I think is it's a Reform synagogue, actually. A Reform synagogue. Sure. What are we What are we doing there? We're doing there because you know we're we're, we're bringing forth the Word of God everywhere someone will listen. So that's pretty awesome. Go ahead. I, I just want to say I know I know um, Nehemiah, the, the wandering Jew. I know you're at Ira's place and he's somewhere else in the house. But mm-hmm. he just sent me a message saying. What the heck is going on? He's out of control. No, he's out of control. This dead. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, you can from the other room. No, Ira, you ratted me out. He'll <laughs> <laughs> have the neighbors he's, upset he's, soon. He threw me under no, this, the bus. This, no, is a, um, this, this is a great verse. Let me read it again because I love this verse. There is no one like the God of Yeshurun who rides the heavens to help <laughs> you and his excellency on the clouds to the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you. He will say, destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety. The fountain of Jacob alone in the land of grain and new wine. His heaven shall also drop dew. Happy are you, Israel. Who is like you? A people saved by Yehovah, the shield of your help. Yes. And the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you. And you shall tread down their high places. What an mm. awesome wow. couple of mm. verses that hey, is. I, I want to go back to verse 26. Uh, he who rides on the, on the heavens to help you and in his glory, uh, the, the heavens or the skies. And, and what, you know, that's an interesting image. Who is it that rides on the clouds, who rides on the heavens? What's his name? Psalm 68, verse 4, verse 5 in the Hebrew. It says, it says I'm reading from the King James Version. I, can you I love me? this verse. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. Brilliant. Woo! His name is Yah. Now, what is Yah? Yah, we've talked about, is the poetic form. Exodus 15.2, the first time it appears, Zimlat Yah, and here it's Bi Yah, uh, Bai Yah. Uh, it, it's a poetic form of the, of the name Yehovah. And just like Yeshurun is the poetic form of the name Yisrael. Now, this Ooh. image of God riding on the clouds, it appears in other places too, riding on the heavens. Psalm 68, verse 34, it's in the same psalm. To him that rideth upon the heavens of heavens which were of old, lo, he doth send out his voice, and a mighty voice. Um, pretty beautiful image. He's, you know, very beautiful. This image of Yehovah riding well, on the clouds. This is why this is such an Powerful. important verse, Nehemiah, that you just brought up. And 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 I and mm-hmm. if I can just do this this one last time, folks. If you would just are you going to play a card? Six thousand eight hundred and twenty-seven <laughs> times, according to the Aleppo. Six thousand eight hundred and twenty-eight, according to what someone else told me. His name <laughs> shows up in that's in the Leningrad. It's not my fault. <laughs> and so here's the point. And again, this is this is a great this is a great thing. But I, I look at what it says in the NIV, Jono. And I want you to read your verse if you could in your your version. Would you please, if you're just an innocent person, for, say the first time you're reading through the Psalms and you're reading you're reading this. This is actually a a what I call a moneyball verse. This is a verse that is a very very strong statement, really strong statement. And and I'm not sure how many times we'll see it like this. I could have Nehemiah do a quick computer search for this exact phrase. Nehemiah, while we're doing this, would you please look for this phrase in English on your computer? In English? And I want Jono to read the verse. 
I want you to look for the phrase, his name is the Lord. And Jono, I want you to read your version of verse uh, number four. Okay, so, 68, so we're four. in uh, 68, Psalm 68 four. four. Okay, so I'm 68 four. And it says, sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah. Okay, and you're excellent. Before what him. version is that? That's the New King James. Okay, awesome. Now let me just, now let me, I said how much I was excited about the NIV. Now can I be sad for a minute and read my sure. NIV? Go on. Let me read my NIV. Sing to God, sing praise to his name. Now so far they got me. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Riding on the clouds. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> and then it says, <laughs> let me finish. It <laughs> says, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. Wow. Another point for the new King James. So would you do me a favor, Nehemiah? How many times yep. do you find in the NIV version, his name is the Lord? Now, hold on. We've got to define the search. Uh, right? Okay, hold on. Mm-hmm. Name is Lord. Uh, okay, hold on. One second. Incidentally, Keith, uh, the yes. next verse is Only another here. verse that describes Jehovah's father. There the you father go. of the fatherless. Okay, Only so, here. Now, Only here, Nehemiah. Now, ju- now, just a second. Nehemiah, how many now, times well, do you find well, the word? Do, but what we do have is uh, in the NIV, Psalm 68.4 has his name is the Lord. Psalm 83.18 has whose name is the Lord. Jeremiah 16.21 has then they will know that my name is the Lord. Uh, that's the third witness. His name is Lord. Uh, Jeremiah 32.18, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Jeremiah forty six eighteen, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Jeremiah forty eight fifteen, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Jeremiah fifty one fifty seven, whose name is the Lord Almighty. So that's seven times that it has the na- the name of of the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, is the Lord or the Lord. And Almighty. And that's why when when we come along and we say, hey guys, let's just open this up and take a look and see if that's really what it says, it really does cause quite a a stir amongst those that are NIV folks like myself. I would say, well, wait, what's the big deal? I mean, we sing, we praise, we worship to this title, the Lord. And again, I know people are maybe get tired of hearing of this, but this really is an important thing. And Jono, uh, what I want to say here on your show, on our, you know, truth to you, is that what's been a blessing about your 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 ministry is that when, when you have found truth, you want to be able to bring it forth. And you've given us a platform to be able to bring this particular information forth to people. This is not a matter of opinion. This is not a matter of, you know, the Karaite and the Methodist with an agenda. This is simply opening up the text and saying, is there a name in the Hebrew manuscripts? Absolutely there is. Is it a name that we can know? Yes. Is it a name that we could even speak? Absolutely. Can we pray it? Can we proclaim it? Can we praise this name? Can we magnify this name? Can we speak this name? Can we proclaim this name? Can we remember this name? And we brought that information forth. And you know, some people have been extremely, extremely excited to finally know that they don't have to go with a title. There have been others that have said that particular information, though it may be truth, really rubs against my tradition. And those are the folks that I hope will continue to seek and to to find for themselves and to dig for themselves to know that this title that you've been living by is not honor to his name. That's simply all I want to say. Amen. I I do think it's interesting of the seven times in the NIV that has his name is the Lord or whose name is the Lord, that six of them has in the Hebrew, Yehovah. Uh, The first one, though, in Psalm 68.4, as you pointed out, has Yah which is the poetic form of Yehovah, the, you know, be like saying, my name is Nehemiah, my name is Nehemiah, my name is Nehemiah. And then one time I say, my name is Hemi, Hemi, you know, and Hemi is the, uh, is my, the nickname for ne- Nehemiah. Or, or if I'm in Australia, I'm going to be known as Nemo. Um, yep. My name is Nemo. <laughs> my name is Nehemiah. Nemo. Your name is Nemo so, and my you know, name is Kijo. Kijo. That's right. 
No, I think the proper <laughs> pronunciation of your name is, we've established this, it's Kaya, and anyone who says differently is is a blasphemer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now let's get to the good section here. <laughs> <laughs> so that is it. That's the way that uh, uh, Deuteronomy 33 oh, and no, whoa. H to the N, brother. Verse 27 is one of the 26 most important verses in the entire <laughs> Bible. What are you talking about? We're just going to skip over it. I tried, it. To, get out. I tried, I tried to get out of it. Yeah, okay. Come on, what are you saying? I, I read it. I read it with read as it much again. excitement as I could put into it. It's an awesome verse. Let's read the first few verses. First the, few eternal, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath so the are the everlasting refuge. arms. Okay. Mm-hmm. The word for refuge, and it actually means dwelling, that's uh, pretty cool. The eternal God, or the God of, an, of, of antiquity is a more accurate translation, uh, is your dwelling or is a dwelling. And the word is me'onah. Say me'onah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, me'onah is a poetic form of a different word, which is the word ma'on. And it's a kind of an unusual way of saying it. And there's a, I want to read you a passage from the Jerusalem Talmud, Ta'anit section 20b. And it says as follows. And this is interesting because, you know, I don't think it's the word of God, but it's interesting historical information. Uh, the Talmud, and it says as follows. It says there were three books, or three manuscripts, really, you could translate it. There are three books in that were found in the Azara, in the courtyard of the temple. There was the manuscript of Maoni, there was the manuscript of Zatute, and the manuscript of He. Uh, and then it says, let's see, uh, let's see. So in one of them, they found written Maon, refuge, the Maon Elohe Kedem. Mm-hmm. The refuge of the of the god of uh, the ancient god of the god of antiquity, and in two of them they found written Ma'una Elohe Kedem, the god of antiquity is a refuge. Same exact meaning, except there's a poetic form of the word Ma'una, and there's the normal form of the word Ma'on. Two of the manuscripts had the poetic form. One of the manuscripts had the normal form, and it says they they uh, they uh, established the the two and they invalidated the one. In other words, they said there's three manuscripts in the temple courtyard. Two of them read it with the poetic form, Me'onah. One reads Ma'on, the normal form, and they said, we're going to go by the majority. And so when they would copy manuscripts based on these three temple courtyard manuscripts, when they would copy a new manuscript, if you had a village in the Galilee called Nazareth and you wanted to have a copy of the Bible, you went to the temple in Jerusalem and they would copy from the temple courtyard manuscripts and they would copy it based on the majority reading out of the three manuscripts in the temple courtyard. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's and then, uh, yeah, and then here we, we it goes on, and it says, uh, let's see, hold on a second. Um, before, before, before it goes on, can I ask you a question, and maybe maybe I'm leaving the farm, but can I ask you a question about the word refuge? Yeah. If we go to Psalm 90, which is attributed to Moses, mm-hmm. it begins, uh, in, in mine at least, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Is it a, is it a similar word? Is it the same word? It's the same exact word, and that's the non-poetic form, ma'on. That's, oh, that's ma'on, to, the non-poetic. Yeah, okay. as, a, as opposed to ma'ona, which appeared in two out of the three manuscripts. And of course, by the way, if you look at our Masoretic text, the Bible that Keith uses, the Bible that I use, the Bible that every, uh, going to any synagogue in the world, and they use the Masoretic text, go to any university in the world, they use the Masoretic text, it has ma'ona, the poetic form. Just uh, uh, just as a side note, what, what is the word Lord there? What does it open with? Uh, Chapter 90 on. of Psalms. Um, hold on. Uh, Adonai because, it's Adonai, know. Keith, because yeah. it's not spelt all the way in capitals. I, I thought right. this has got to be something else. So Adonai okay. legitimately appears in the Hebrew Bible. The only problem is when you replace Yehovah with Adonai. But Adonai itself appears several hundred times. Hmm. Um, okay, so then it goes on in this passage in, in, the, in the Talmud, and it says, uh, in one of the manuscripts they found written, and this is in Exodus 24, and he sent 
the 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 youths of the sons of Israel, uh, and in two of them it was written, and he sent the boys of the sons of Israel, and they established the two and invalidated the one. In other words, there is a different word naare versus zatute, which is uh, um, you know just two different words for the same thing: a boy or, or a young or a young man or a youth. Uh, and so they went by the majority reading. Um, and it says in one of them it, uh, it was written nine times he with a yud, uh, and in two of them it was written eleven times he with a yud. And they established the two and invalidated the one. And, and, and that's more of a technical thing. The Hebrew word for she, ironically in Hebrew, is he. <laughs> mm-hmm. The Hebrew word he means she. And we, when I was growing up, we used to have this little uh, rhyme that we would say: "Me is who, who is he, he is she," because the Hebrew word me means who. And the Hebrew word who means he, and the Hebrew word he means she. Anyway, so it's spelled normally hey vav aleph, uh, but in uh, 11 places it's spelled hey yud aleph, and they were so precise that they wanted to make sure it was spelled always, you know, that when they copied the manuscript, they spelled it the way it was in the original, even though it didn't change the pronunciation, even though it didn't change the meaning, they wanted to still spell it according to this unusual way, and in uh, nine of the, or excuse me, in uh, two of the manuscripts that had eleven times he, uh, he with the yud, and and nine of the manuscripts that had nine times, and so they went based on the majority of the manuscripts. But I think what's interesting about this is there was an official set version of scripture in the second temple, in the temple courtyard, these uh, temple courtyard manuscripts, and in fact there was a, a a group of scribes who were called the temple courtyard proofreaders. That was their entire job to sit there all day. People would bring them a manuscript, they bring them a scroll from. Uh, from Tiberias or from Nazareth or from Bethlehem, and they'd say, okay, they'd go through letter by letter and make sure it was copied perfectly based on the Temple Courtyard manuscripts. Wow. Pretty cool. How amazing is That's, that, ladies and gentlemen? That is awesome, Keith. Now can we skip to verse 29, which I think is one of the 27 most important verses. <laughs> See, he's counting them now. He's right up. It's 27. That's where we are. Yep. He can't go all day. I'm telling you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by Yehovah, the shield... <laughs> So we stop there. Happy yep. are you, O Israel, and some would have it. Blessed are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by Yehovah? This is Moses okay. talking 3,500 years ago. I think mm-hmm. it speaks for itself. Okay. I love the, re- the rest of it, though. I'm going to read it in Hebrew. Magen gavatecha. He who uh, is the shield to help you, etc., and the sword of your glory, of your pride. And then it says, V'ikachashu oivecha lach. And your enemies will deny you. That's what it literally says in the Hebrew. I don't know what it says in the English. What do you got got, there? I've got your enemies shall submit to you. What do you got, Kate? Ooh, what? No, your enemies will deny you. They will cower before you. So what it says is your enemies will deny you. You can find the same exact word in Psalm 30, verse 9, where he says, Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. We actually talked about that in a prayer to our Father, that really cool passage, Proverbs 30, verse 9. But the point is to deny someone is to say, I don't know who God is. I don't know who Israel is. They're, Israel's nobody. They're not saved. Your enemies will deny you. I don't. They're not even really Israel. Interesting. Isn't that Very interesting? It's prophetic. Your enemies will deny you. Israel, who is saved by Jehovah, and your enemies will deny you. Mm. Wow. Hang on, I've got to Save write. Pl- I've got to write a note there. Placement theology. Yep. Guys, I got to take a quick back- bathroom break. This is actually my fourth. Yep. Keith was talking during the other ones. <laughs> so now, what I want to do while he's on to the bathroom, I want to talk about the death of Moses. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you've been listening to the show, you know that Nehemiah thinks this is some sort of you know Moses was confused about what was going on, and it really wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't him being disobedient. He was disobedient, ladies and gentlemen, and this is why <laughs> he's going to be sent to the mountain to look at what he could have gotten if he had not been disobedient, and he's not going to enter the land. Mm-hmm. And so then Moses went up. 
uh, from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo on top of uh, Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And Yehovah showed him all the land. Stop there, folks. I want to stop because a second. This is really cool. So this is one of the things that uh, I got a chance to do, Jono, when I was over in uh, Israel this spring doing the Time Will Tell series. I went to the area of Jericho where you can look from Jericho across over to where uh, Moses would have looked over across to Jericho. And actually, it's one of the places that Nehemiah told me, do not go. Do not go to Jericho. It's Palestinian controlled. Do not go there. And of course, I went there because I had to deal with this issue. But going there and looking across and seeing Mount Nebo, mm. and then knowing that that's where Moses looked across at the land, and then that's the spot, and we're actually going to go to this spot, uh, Jonah. We're going to go over to the section where the folks have their baptism. They go across the River Jordan, where Israel, somewhere in that area, crossed over before they went to Jericho, marched around that town. I'm back. Seven times, and the walls fell down. Wait, what the hell's so going we're on? Actually gonna, we're actually going to do that. Wait, and, wait you and, guys and, and, and going on without it, me? Exciting is it says that, this, think about this now. Think about this. So, so here's the grace. The grace is Moses. Now, is this grace or is this mean? I want to ask the question. Nehemiah, you're back. I want you to answer this question. Jonah, I want you to answer this question. So mm-hmm. Yehovah tells Moses, Moses, go up and look at everything you work for. But you don't get to go. Is that, oh. what is that? You know, it's interesting that you should say that, Keith, because uh, as I was reading this, I, I did have a look at my um, my study notes, and it's it's interesting when the study notes sort of interject their own opinion, because that's very rare in in this uh, in my New King James study notes. But in this particular case, it says uh, Moses remained God's faithful servant. Moses was granted by God a close up view of the land. How sad that his feet were not able to walk where his eyes danced. So what's this about? I mean. I mean, do you really want to show me where I can't go? Or is that, is that more for us, the readers? I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that it's the consolation prize. I don't want to see it if I'm Moses. You don't want to see it? No. Because you, you don't think so? No. Nehemiah. Yeah, can, can I, I think this really is one of the most tragic passages in the Bible, in a sense. You know, Moses has worked out for this for 40 Like he, he was out in the desert with his sheep and just wanted to be left alone with his wife and, and kids. And, and God calls him to this mission, and, and he spends 40 years. He sta- he's standing before Pharaoh, stuttering and saying, my people go. And, you know, for 40 years, he's carried these people, and he stood before Pharaoh, and he did all this stuff. And now God's saying, you can go up to the mountain, but you can't go in. And um, can, can, I, can I, you know, last time we, we, uh, I read from Shakespeare, can I read from something else this time, which oh, isn't you from the Bible? you kidding me. No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you from, uh, from, the, from what's called the, and Keith, you should appreciate this. This is called the Mountaintop Speech from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. It's the last speech he gave the day before he died. Mm. One of the most famous speeches of all time. He, uh, and he's, he's right, saying here, he says, uh, I got to Memphis and some began to say, threats or talk about the threats that were out what would happen to me etc he says well i don't know what will happen now we've got some difficult days ahead but it doesn't really matter with me now because i've been to the mountaintop now remember dr martin luther king jr he went to divinity school he was he was a preacher before he got involved in the whole civil mm-hmm. rights he was a preacher he says i've been to the mountaintop i don't mind like anybody i would like to live a long life longevity has its place but i'm not concerned about that now i just want to do god's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people, 
we'll get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, and the next day he was shot to death. So now, I mean, this is something from, from, you know, from our modern times that this man labored and worked and was beaten and, and water hosed and gassed and to, get, to accomplish this goal of, of freedom. And he knew he wasn't going to get there, but he said, we as a people will get to the promised land. And, mm. and now, now imagine Moses, <laughs> he wasn't doing it for four years or 14 years. He was doing it for 40. Mm. And he was able to look at from the mountaintop, but he wasn't able to cross over. Are you guys with me? Yeah, but there's, there's just not a lot to add to that, really, is there? I mean, yes. that is just, it that is. really does make the point. And thank yeah. you for that. Because, I mean, you can read it and you think, is this, this, surely this is not God rubbing it in, saying, look, there it is, and you can't go there. But, but, but maybe it's a, this, I don't know, the consolation prize. It's like saying, here it is. They are here. You've brought them here. I've brought them here. And you've, you, you've been my servant. You're my man of God. Let me show you where they're going. But as for you, you're going to die on the mountain. Well, I, I think to me the message here is this is how important my word is. I gave you a commandment, mm. and you kind of did it, but you did it in your way, not my way. And mm. this is how important. Now, look, God doesn't judge all of us by this standard. He says, I am, he says, I am sanctified by those who are close to me. He says that when he burns up the two sons of Aaron. He doesn't burn all of us up. I never, you know, I've done stuff that I deserve to be burned up, mm. and I never got burned up. But for those who are close to him, he says, I will sanctify myself by them in the eyes of the people. And, and Moses, he's saying to him, look, this might be a small thing. You, you kind of did, you know, did what I commanded, but not exactly. I need to show the people how important it is to obey my word. And you're going to have to suffer for that. You're going to have to be the example for the people. Okay. Well, I, I mean, look, what, what, what can we say? I mean, regarding the issue of Moses, and uh, he's done the, the awesome job of culminating this on the, the end of the last four pros. He waited, he waited with this in his pocket the, uh, the last ten weeks, and, and, and he's, he's just taken us to the mountaintop, and I'm, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm silenced. I'm absolutely silenced. Nehemiah, thank you so much. Hmm. Now, I've actually been to that mountaintop um, over in the kingdom of Jordan, Mount Hardevo, Mount Nebo. And uh, if you get there early in the morning, you can look out and you see the towers in the distance in Jerusalem. You can't literally see all the way to, uh, to Dan and Beersheba. That, that had to be in prophecy. But you can see about 20, 30 miles away, you see Jerusalem, the, the, the towers sticking up on, on, the, on the ridge. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, and you see the Dead Sea spread out, spread out before you in the Jordan Valley and and the mountains of Ephraim. And so you do see a significant amount of the land. But he, he, it had to be in prophecy to see all the way to um, the sea, all the way to, to uh, Dan and Beersheba. And, 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 you know, I read Dr. Martin Luther King's speech, and, and maybe that was prophetic, meaning he says, I've seen it. I know we're going in. Mm. As people, I'm not going to be there, but God's shown me in prophecy. And, um, can we talk about verse 6, get, get you know, into the, the meat of this chapter? Can we read mm. verse 6? Let me let me just read. Let me just go from four, and okay. and just before I do, Keith. I mean, when you were there, what what time of the day was it when you were there? You were you were standing there too. Uh, yeah. So there. actually, what? I went there in the afternoon and stayed until the evening. So it was it was really really quite cool. Mm, yeah, looking cool. at the opposite side now. Again, Nehemiah was on the side where Moses was. I'm looking over to where Moses is. So 
and you'll actually right. get a chance to kind of look at that. That'll be, that'll be pretty cool. Looking forward to that. Then Yehovah said to him, This is the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of Yehovah, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of Yehovah, and he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Bet Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Mm-hmm. Now, that, uh, now for, I mean, Keith will know what I'm talking about when I say there's a mention of this in, in the book of Jude, right? And what, Keith, Nehemiah, can I ask, Nehemiah, what is the mm-hmm. assumption of Moses? What's that? There's a book. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's, it's part of what's called the, the uh, Pseudepigrapha, which were Jewish writings in the Second Temple period. And uh, they had all kinds of interesting you know, stories and speculations. And, and it's very possible that, that the, the, at least some of those books that we call pseudepigrapha were, were considered scriptural or at least divinely inspired by some people. Uh, the vast majority of Jews definitely didn't accept them, but it's very possible that, for example, the, the Essenes accepted some of those books as, as being binding or as being yeah. even prophetic. Mm-hmm. And, and and this is uh, apparently what what Jude was um, uh, quoting from. It's it's interesting. It's curious. Well, I, you know, saying that he quoted from the Assumption of Moses, I'm not sure. In Jude, I'm not sure that's the case. What what would happen is you had these legends and stories, and they would be written down in different places, and some of them would find their way into you know into rabbinical uh, midrash, and some of them would find their way into the, into the pseudepigrapha, and other than other stories like that may have been picked up and and you know report and you know and related in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily quoting from one another. It's very they're all maybe quoting from these popular legends that are being told among the people. But in any case, no one knows. I mean, is this the case? There is no. Hang on, wait a minute. Didn't Keith? Keith? Didn't you go to a mosque where where Moses? Well, was I was going to bring it up. I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring this up. And and actually, the reason I'm going to bring this up, ladies and gentlemen, is because there's been a bit of a controversy with Nehemia Jono, and I'm going to go ahead and bring this up now. It's the last Torah pearls here. Uh, there have been some people who have been pushing the, that uh, Nehemiah is actually a Muslim. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I Karite, know. No, in Karite clothing. I'm not making a joke. This is a fact. In fact, Jono and I, along with Nehemiah as a witness, found the one of the authors of such this nonsense mm-hmm. and, and attempted to make a phone call to them for the point of accountability, and, and the phone was unlisted. And doo, 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 the number well, you yep, had reached is. Uh, yeah. But the reason I'm going to the reason I want to bring this up, and I, I bring I, I bring it up. You know, not just tongue in cheek. I mean, the point is that there are some people that are very nervous about the fact that Nehemiah has crossed many borders, including into the messianic uh, realm. And there are some uh, former messianic folks who have now uh, uh, sort of made the association with a Muslim movement and have, have done all sorts of crazy gymnastics regarding what they're connected to and kind of have pulled Nehemiah and Karaites into their their web. Well, let, 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 me, let, me, let me set some order of exactly what you're talking about. So there's a website out there which was set up by these uh, former Messianics who are now, I don't know what they are. What, what, what I do know is they, they're, they're lunar Sabbatarians. They follow the lunar Sabbath, which is this anti-Semitic you know, system that the Jews have lied to us. They've deceived us about the day of the week. And so they believe that the day of the week is somehow tied into the moon, which is utter nonsense. And so they're apparently, they don't like Karaites. So what they did is they set up a website called karaite.org. <laughs> And they pretend to be Karaites and then say, well, Karaites are Muslims. And, 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 you know, and so people who don't know who these people are look at this website and say, oh, the Karaites are admitting they're Muslims. 
Except what they don't realize is that this website isn't a Karite website. It's a fake website by these lunar Sabbatarians who are some kind of ex-Messianics. And, um, and really, this is something worthy of, of, uh, of, of the Palestinians. The Palestinians actually did something like this, where they set up a fake website pretending to be the, the Israeli army. And they mm-hmm. took the exact content from the Israeli army website, which you know, would have a picture of people you know, uh, in handcuffs, and, and it would say, four terrorists captured in Gaza. And um, and so they would put the exact same picture on the Palestinian website, which was which pretended to be an Israeli website, and it would say uh, four civilians shot dead, uh, bound and you know bound and shot, uh, you know. And so they they were reporting as if they were the Israeli army, but pretending that you know we admit we carry out these atrocities, we're proud of it. And really, this is this is the type of dirty tricks that's that's worthy of I don't know the Republican National Convention or, or uh, uh, you know. Or the Democrats, I don't know, whoever. Like, really, it's the type of dirty tricks you'd find in Chicago politics. I'm from Chicago, I can say that. And uh, it's despicable that somebody would set up a website pretending to be somebody else to portray those people as something they're not. I mean, mm-hmm. how pathetic do you have to be in order to do that? And so we actually well, attempted want- to, to, to call these people uh, to give, you know, require some accountability from them. And the phone number they gave when they registered the website was a fake phone number that's disconnected. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I brought it up is, Jonah, we, you know, we're talking about this issue of Moses and his, his, you know, there really is a connection, folks, to this, is that Nehemiah, one of the things he did in the earlier in the times that I visited there, he took me to a mosque, and this particular mosque was dedicated, a Navi Musa, which is dedicated to the prophet Moses, and what's really a, kind of amazing about it, I just have to say at first, it really caught me off guard, it's, it's an amazing uh, you know, edifice out in the middle of looks like the desert. You know, you're you're driving back there and you go in. Oh, it's the desert. And so the Judean it's the desert. desert. There's no, yeah, there's no question about that. But what's amazing about it is, is that the the Muslim, um, you know, Islam acknowledges. Yes, we acknowledge Moses. Uh, they have this plot, this this particular mosque to him. And some people would get really offended by this, but I I wasn't particularly offended because I love crossing borders. So we went in, and so if Nehemiah, um, is you know, would have been a Muslim, he would have done what I did, but he didn't. And do what I did, and I'm not Muslim either, by the way, folks. But I'm a Methodist, so I can get away with it. So <laughs> they're so the, liberal, they'll even go into a mosque. <laughs> no, I can't believe it. So we went into the mosque, everyone, and Nehemiah came in with me, and and then the guy invited me to come into the actual mosque. So I did something really, really radical. I knelt down in the mosque, and I prayed uh, the Avino to Yahovah. What's the Avino inside for the those mosque? Who our Father who art in heaven, Avinu your name be sanctified. I actually went into that place because here's my thought, Jono, and this and listen, look, and those that are considering coming with us, you know, I promise you I won't lead you into a mosque, but you'll at least know where it is. <laughs> you'll, you'll at least understand the significance of the Temple Mount. People, places I like didn't that. go into the mosque. <laughs> no, it was, no, you went into the – you didn't – no, Nehemiah. You I went, went into, into the, the compound. The, I didn't go to the, the compound. Look, the reason, I, the reason I took again. Keith to this compound, this, this – uh, this, I'm in the middle of my shtick. All right. I'll let you finish your shtick, and I, I want to explain what this okay, is about. Okay, so, so I, went into this, I went into this mosque, Jono, and here's why. And this is why I don't care about crossing borders. The earth is Yehovah's and the fullness thereof. That's what my that's what my scripture tells me. And so when I went in there, I thought to myself, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm walking under the authority as an ambassador of God's name. I'm coming in here as an ambassador of God's name. And listen, I actually and here's what's really radical. I actually have a, a lot of respect for the Muslims in certain areas. I really do. Mm-hmm. I, I really do have a lot of respect for them in certain areas in terms of the true. Um, attempts that some of them make that, that, that is an attempt to try to connect with God. I don't want to get into politics. I don't want to get in with you know who did what and what's going on. I'm just talking about some of the aspects, some of the things that are actually taken from Moses 
the real Moses that you and I sure. and Nakemi have been talking about mm-hmm. that are pretty amazing and that I've actually appreciated. And in the series that I'm doing, Time Will Tell, I actually did a whole section with Muslims where they took me to places that Nehemiah wouldn't go with me. He said, don't go to the PLO <laughs> area of Jericho. Don't go to Hebron. Don't. Well, the Muslims would take me. So I went with the Muslims, Jono. Can you blame me? Wow. I didn't want to see you on this video where they're cutting your head off. That's why I took you <laughs> to go. And look, I had an happen. amazing time. So happen. what I did, I'm going to just say this right now. So I went to this particular place during this also series after Nehemiah taught me, showed me it. I went back to that place, and they did a really amazing thing for me, Jono. And I'm bringing people in there. I actually went into the mosque with my little camera, and the head guy who's in charge of the mosque, and Nehemiah will tell you how big a deal it is. I said to him, can you open up the gate where Moses' tomb is? And he let me. He opened up the gate where Moses' tomb is, and he let me go inside the actual tomb, not the mosque, into the tomb. He unlocked the gate. And let me film it for people so they can see it. And they acknowledge that that is not Moses' tomb, but it's representative of Moses' tomb. And so this is why I think it's so important, and I appreciate Nehemiah for this, for us to dig to find out what the bottom is. Because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of assumptions Mm -hmm. that people make about other people and about other groups and about other things. I'm saying let's go find out for ourselves. So it was an amazing experience. Went back there. In fact, well, I can – timewilltell.tv. Go to timewilltell.tv. I promise you by then the Muslim section will be up and you'll be really blessed. Timewilltell.tv. So, so, the, so the reason I brought Keith to this, this place, this, uh, this place that the Muslims claim is the, is the tomb of Moses, is a lot, you know, a lot of times, I think a lot of people in the Western world don't know this, that Islam uh, claims or Muslims claim many of the stories that appear in the, in the Tanakh and in the New Testament, by the way, uh, but they have those stories with, with a distortion. So, for example, instead of I, they have the story of Isaac being bound and sac, uh, being you know almost sacrificed by Abraham, except they swap out the name Isaac with Ishmael, who is they claim to right. be their ancestor, and they have Haman as an official in the court of Pharaoh. All kinds of details that in our, our Bible we read that and we're like, boy, they got the story confused. And if you actually ask some historians, they'll tell you, you know, uh, Mohammed. What they'll say was, uh, I'm not, this is what some historians say. They say Mohammed was you know the, a, a caravan driver. He was the head of a caravan of his wife Khadija, and he would sit around the fire uh, in the desert with Jews and Christians and other people in the caravan, and the other people would tell stories, and he heard these stories, and you know when you tell a story around a fire play, around the fire pit, it's a little bit different than what it actually says in Scripture. Sure. And so some of these stories were different. So for example, they've got Jesus in the, in the, in the Quran. Mm-hmm. They've got, they call him Esau, which is actually Esau, Esau, the brother of Jacob, but they call, that's what they call Jesus. And they say that he was put on the cross, but he escaped the cross. And so they've got all kinds of stories that are different than what you find in the Jewish sources and different from what you find in, in, the, in the Christian sources. Mm-hmm. Um, we would, from our perspective, we would say they're distorted uh, versions of the story. Of course, they say we've distorted the story. Um, and we're right and they're wrong. And, of course, they think they're right and we're wrong. But I brought Keith to the site to show him a, 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 like an example of that. And this example is that they have this site dedicated to the tomb of Moses. Mm. And, of course, we're told we don't know where Moses' tomb was. He was buried on the eastern side of the Jordan, somewhere in a valley in the plains of Moab. And where they have their tomb of Moses is on the western side of the Jordan, somewhere in the Judean desert, in the plains of Jericho, uh, on the wrong side of the Jordan River. And so there's an example of how they've, they've got some of the details of the story, but they've distorted it from our perspective and, and got it mm. wrong. And, uh, and this is actually a, a geographical uh, and, and uh, architectural representation of this type of thing. Um, you know, and, and so I thought that that was interesting. Um, you know, I have to admit that I wasn't comfortable going into the mosque. Um, and that's, you know, for, for my own reasons. 
Uh, and I understand why Keith went in. And, and this, I think, goes back to a, to a dispute that you have among, um, you know, if you ask most Jews who, what God did the Muslims worship, they'll say, oh, the same God as us. They've just got the stories wrong. They've just got the stories confused. If you ask many Christians what God the Muslims worship, this is what I've heard at least, they'll say that the Muslims worship Satan. And it's not that they got the stories wrong. It's that they're worshiping a false god. And, you know, I, I try to stay out of these disputes. I don't know. What I know, I know what most God... Messianics, Nehemia, what, what, what do most they'll, Messianics say? They'll say that, that the Muslims worship Satan. Am I wrong no, about they'll that? They'll say he, he worships the moon god. Oh, mm. the moon god. All right, whatever. Mm. Um, and that's funny because that moon symbol comes from the Turks, not from the Muslims, but whatever. Uh, it's a very late thing. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, so they've got some of the details, right? And so I'll just give you an example in, in their observance. So they don't eat pig, like the Torah says, mm. but they do eat shellfish. So they've got some of the details, but they're confused. Um, so they begin their months with the sighting of the new moon, just like the Jews did in ancient times, just like we, we, we read about in the Mishnah, written in the, uh, around the year 210 AD, uh, 400 years before Mohammed uh, came around. Uh, the Jews were sighting the new moon uh, in the land of Israel. So the Muslims don't do it in the land of Israel. They do it anywhere in the world. So they'll often have their holidays a day before the Jews do, uh, or mm -hmm. before the sighted new moon. And, uh, and then most Muslims don't even sight the moon. They look at the dark moon, and that's because that's easier to calculate. Um, so it's a very small, uh, a very small percentage of Muslims actually look for the sighted new moon. They go by the dark moon in Saudi Arabia, and um, so, cool. so another thing that Muslims do is instead of praying, they, or the original Islam actually Muhammad taught them to pray in the direction of Jerusalem, which is what Jews do. Jews all over the world face Jerusalem, and if you're in Jerusalem, you face the temple, and if you're on the temple, you face the holy of holies. If you're on the temple mount, everywhere in the world, every synagogue you're going to find on planet Earth is going to be facing Jerusalem, roughly. I mean, it won't be to the exact degree, but they face Jerusalem. In fact, you'll see synagogues that are on an angle. You know, you'll walk in on the street, and the, and the, and the whole thing is oriented on an angle because it's supposed to be facing Jerusalem. Well, the Muslims took this, and instead of facing Jerusalem, they decided to face Mecca. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so they, and, and originally, they did face Jerusalem until you know, some things happened, and Mohammed changed it to Mecca. So you, know, you see these little things they took from Judaism but with some differences. And from our perspective, again, or from the Jewish perspective, it's a distortion. Um, and again, they say we're distorted, but you know, on the Day of Judgment, we'll all find out that the Jews are right and the Muslims are wrong. <laughs> maybe, actually, maybe we'll find out that we're both wrong and it was the Methodists. Who knows? But, um, <laughs> well, I'm going you know, to get in a lot of trouble. I'm, I'm going to get shot by the uh, Spiritual Border Patrol. I'm going to get shot by the uh -oh. get pulled over by the religious police because I did a whole segment on uh, the Muslim understanding of time. And, th and there are some similarities. There are some things that there is some common ground, and those things I love to be able to highlight. There's some things where there's not common ground. But again, I think time is one of those things where Yehovah will use it ultimately to bring people to an understanding of who he is. And so that's why I've been so excited about it. And folks, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to timewilltell.tv and get information about it today. There it is, timewilltell.tv. And speaking and of thank time, you. yes. speaking of time, it's run out. It's run out because uh, <laughs> Moses is 120... Uh -oh. 120 years old, and that's it. No, He's the oldest it. guy there, by the way. I mean, everyone else is wow. what in their in their early. How old is everyone else? Well, they could be up to 60, I guess. Up to 60, okay. Because they were some of them were you know 19 years old when when the when the things He's happened. He's double the age of the of the next oldest person. Wow. Wow. Hey, so can we talk about? And I know we're we're running out of time. Can we <laughs> of the Torah pearls? Can we talk about verse 10? Because I really think this is one of the 28 most important verses in the Bible. Verse what? Wow. 28. Verse 10. Okay, so. Let me just read this. So, 
So he was 120 years old. His eyes were not dim, nor nor his natural vigor diminished. That's interesting. Now I gotta hang on a second because earlier on, didn't he say, didn't he say to everyone, hey, hey, everyone, look, I'm really old. I'm 120 years old. I can no longer go in or go out. Look, this is what Jews do. They complain. <laughs> <laughs> so he, apparently he was putting. I it give on. up. I'm 175 yeah, years so old. Go and I'm give me that better life and take that thing over there and get that for me. And uh, anyway, but apparently he was all right. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, 30 days. And so when the, uh, the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended, now Joshua, Yehoshua bin Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. We can't go past that. He was, Keith, he was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel hated him and did as Yehovah commanded Moses. Verse 10. But Wait, before since, we get to that, who wrote hmm. verse 9? I figure it was probably Joshua, it's my guess. I think so, too. But that's, okay. that's, you have to understand, from where I come from, that's a radical statement. Because we're taught as the core doctrine, Moses wrote every word of the Torah, and in fact, he wrote these words that we're reading right now in tears. He wrote them prophetically in tears. Wow. That's what I was taught. That's but if some... people read Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence, they'll get the real story on that. Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence, NehemiahsWalls.com. NehemiahsWalls.com. Oh, there it is. But since then... There has now, okay, let me read this slowly. But since then, but since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom, whom Yehovah knew face to face. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom Yehovah knew face to face. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And I, and I hear that and I say, Joshua wrote that? Big deal. So what, how many years have gone by? A few years, 10 years? 20 years, 30 years, and, and so the last 30 years we haven't had a prophet like Moses? I'm not really impressed like that. Can I read you the JPS, the Jewish Publication Society translation? Please. It says, never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord singled out face to face. Never again. Now, how, why is there the difference? And this is something, a grammatical issue called the prophetic past. Prophetic past. I'll read you what it says in Gazinius' Hebrew grammar. It's where you say something in the past tense and the reason you say it that way is because you're so certain it's going to happen. I'm sure we've talked about this before, but let me read you how Gazinius describes it. He's uh, Jew, uh, not Jewish. He's a Hebrew grammarian from the 19th century. He says it's used to express facts which are undoubtedly imminent and therefore in the imagination of the speaker already accomplished. This use of the, of the perfect, meaning the past, occurs most frequently in prophetic language. The prophet so transports himself in imagination into the future that he describes the future events as if it had already been already uh, seen or heard by him. In other words, he's so certain these things are going to happen, he describes it as something in the past tense. And let me, let me re give you some examples of this. Um, Isaiah 5.13 mm -hmm. is an example that Gazinius brings. And he says, Assuredly, my people will suffer exile. Now, in, uh, that's the GPS, the King James. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. Now, in English, that's, that, it's already happened, right? Therefore, mm -hmm. my people are gone into captivity. And in the Hebrew, it's written in the past tense. They, it happened. They, are gone in, they have gone into captivity. They are gone into ca captivity. But Isaiah was talking about something that hadn't happened yet, that wouldn't happen for many, many more years after that. Mm -hmm. And why did he do that? Because he's viewing these events as if they've already happened prophetically. No, no, but the, but the point is that, I mean, if this is, if this is Joshua who's writing this, right. well, what is the big deal if Joshua says, you know, because, I mean, he, he lived, to, if I remember correctly, I think he lived to 110, let's say 60, now okay. there's another. So, so here, here's the difference. If you understand this as a past tense, 
That means up until the time of Joshua, there was nobody like Moses for those hundred years, those sixty years, whatever. Yeah, they it's were. forty years. It's like, but the, the, maybe later on years. there would be so, maybe, maybe later on years. there would maybe maybe later on there would be somebody like Moses who was even greater than Moses. Mm-hmm. And the Jewish understanding of this passage, just like I read in the JPS, is that this is a prophetic past, mm-hmm. meaning this is being described in the past tense because past tense because it is a a certainty that it will take place. And that really is why they translated as never again there arose someone like Moses who knew Yehovah face to face. And and why do they where do they get that idea like like maybe there would be another prophet greater than Moses? How do we know that Moses' prophecy was unique? Um so we've talked I'm sure we've talked about this. Uh mm. so we had this earlier in I think it was numbers I want to say 6 or something. Um um here numbers 12:8 uh, where God says specifically that his prophecy to Moses is is, is unique. I speak with um, him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of Jehovah. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Right. And what he's saying here is, hold on a second. Um, oh, no, go back to verse 6. That's, that's the money ball verse. Verse 6. Here it is. It says, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Jehovah, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. So this, this type of prophecy that Moses has is unique. No other mm-hmm. prophet ever had it. And the, as I said, the Jewish understanding of taking this as a, as a prophetic fast is that not only did no one ever have it, no one ever will have it. That this is a unique pro- uh, form of prophecy that only Moses would have. And then again, Exodus 33.11 is the same thing. And, and Yehovah spoke to yep. Moses, panim el panim, face to face, as a man speaks to his fellow, they would speak face to face. And, and that, that's unique, that type of prophecy. Never again would there arise Never a prophet again. But it's interesting, in you know, like I, I read in my, Nehemiah and Keith, I read in my study notes, and it, and yeah. it tells me that, um, that an even greater status than Moses is oh. spoken about in uh, Deuteronomy 18.15. And I, I read that in the study notes, and I thought, that I don't remember that. I go back to Deuteronomy 18.15, and it says, Yehovah your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. It doesn't say he will be greater than I. It doesn't say that he will have a greater status than Moses. It doesn't say anything of the sort. And actually, we did discuss that, and, yeah, uh, and, that. and you gave an excellent explanation there. Mm-hmm. Let me, before we go further, Keith, mm-hmm. these final verses really do really do paint the picture in a nutshell why they mourned for, for 30 days at the death of Moses. And before, before, if you would be so kind to read the final two verses of the Torah, uh, do, you want to, do you want to add anything to that? Well, the only thing I, was, I would say is um, 30 days, it seems like he should have gotten at least 40. It's Moses, for goodness sakes. So just, just remind me, how long did they mourn for Jacob? Wasn't that seven days? Am I wrong about that? No, 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 no. It was, what are you it was talking about? Was it 30 days? Is this Jacob's. the set time of weeping and mourning, 30 days? Well, so that's the interesting thing. There's both numbers given in the Bible, 7 and 30. And so if you look at uh, Genesis 50, verse 10, and they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is in uh, Transjordan, and they, uh, and, they mourned, and, they, and they wept there, great weeping, very great indeed. And uh, he made for his father a mourning of seven days, Genesis 50, verse 10. Okay, so it now, was 40, 40 days that they took to, in, to embalm him. Right, right. Okay. right. And that's because they were dragging out his body and everything. But then, they for mourned, example... They mourned for him 70 days. So I've got 70 days. What, what are we talking about? Ah, uh, oh, I'm looking at Joseph. No, no, no. This is, this is Jacob. 
50 verse... Um, well, that was in Egypt, they, they mourned for him 70 days. That was the Egyptian custom. But then in verse 10, when they actually go to his funeral and they bury him, then they mourn. Then the, then the Hebrews mourn for him for 10 days. Were you telling me they weren't mourning in Egypt? Maybe they were. I don't know. So, I don't know. But at 30 days, uh, you know, Keith, it's, it's a point. I'm just bringing it and, up, Jono. I think you understand what I'm saying here. This is Moses. Mm. I mean, that's just, you know, I'm just bringing it up. I'm just sure. saying. And then if we look at Numbers 28, 29, they mourned for Aaron for 30, they, they wept from Aaron for 30 days. And so actually what, what, what's happened in Jewish tradition is they've taken the seven days and they've taken the 30 days and they'll do both of those. They'll, 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 they'll what's called sit Shiva for seven days. They actually sit on the ground for seven days. Um, some literally sit on the ground and some, uh, you know, they, they sit on a lower chair. Mm-hmm. Um, but originally, they would literally sit on the ground for seven days, like in Job, and they would mourn. Um, and this is still the, the core period of mourning is seven days. And um, and then they'll do a 30-day uh, a period of mourning, which includes the seven days, but they won't be sitting on the ground for those seven days. They'll, mm-hmm. But at the end of that 30 days, they'll then uh, have a ceremony, usually at, at the graveside, um, a memorial service. So they've mm-hmm. kind of combined both traditions in, in, in Judaism. And look, okay. these are tr- these are traditions. It's the, it's the thing. You know, people say, "Well, how how many days are we commanded to mourn?" God didn't command you to mourn. <laughs> if you're not sad, then there's something. You know, there might be something wrong with you. Uh, you know, if if your loved one dies, but um, but God doesn't need to command us to mourn. Just like He doesn't need to command us to be happy. It's something that you know we should be happy in certain occasions. Another, you know, as, as Solomon said, there's a time to be happy and a time to be sad. Fair mm-hmm. sure enough. Turn. Key. The final, the final two verses of the Torah, the final two verses of Deuteronomy 34, verse 11 and 12, would you, my friend? Keith. Did he slip out to the bathroom? He, maybe, he maybe he has. Keith, press the mute button. Keith Johnson. Oh, I guess I was on mute. I you was were on, on mute. mute. No, 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 I'm telling you, I'm listening the whole time, and he says, press the mute button, because you told me to stop breathing, so I've been holding my breath this entire show. <laughs> so, it says... Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord spoke, knew face to face, and who did all these miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Wow. That's it. In yep. Hebrew, I'm going to start with verse 10. V'lo kam navi od b'Yisrael k'moshe, asher yedao Yehovah panim el panim, there's a tradition when we finish reading something in scripture uh, a section or in this case an entire the entire Bible the entire Torah we say chazak chazak chazek which means, uh, I guess you could translate it, strong, strong, and be strengthened. Mm. Keep going strong. Amen. So Nehemiah is going to do something really special at the end, and I'd like to do something really special at the end before you do the sign-off, Jono. Mm. That would be okay. So Nehemiah, if you would be willing to do this, you're going to do the priestly benediction, which is awesome, the blessing. I'd like to Mm. blow the shofar, and then I'd Mm. like, uh, Jono, for you to do your your last words. So what order would you like that to be in? Why would I do the blessing, and then you could seal it with the shofar? Okay. And, uh, 
Liasem lecha shalom. Yehovah bless you and keep you. Yehovah shine his face towards you and be gracious towards you. Yehovah lift his face towards you and give you peace. And they shall place my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. goodness well guys i gotta say this has been an incredible privilege for me doing the torah portion with you guys it really really has been it's it's just been such a privilege to go through the entire the entire torah with uh keith Edward and oh no i don't believe you just did <laughs> and <Naomi Gordon. laughs> wait where's my middle name <laughs> you have a middle name my my middle name is shalom peace is it Nehemia Shalom Gordon? All right. Well, let's let's all put it on the. T- we've got Keith Edward Johnson. It's Nehemia Edwin. Shalom. Ed Edwin. Edwin. What did I say? Edwin. 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 Keith Edwin Johnson. Nehemia Shalom Gordon. Jonathan Paul Vandor. I've got I knew Paul. It. He's Paul. <laughs> He's the Paul in Jonathan's clothing. <laughs> He's been an underground Paul this entire year on tour. I knew it. <laughs> He's the apostle to the nations. Oh, my goodness. I just want to say uh, thank you to you guys so much. It really has been, it's just been an incredible blessing. And I know that the the listeners feel the same way. So many uh, comments from them and encouragement from them it, that, that have expressed such. And I just want to remind them all that, of course, um, uh, there are the books, you know, just in case they've only just started listening, of course, Nehemiah. The Hebrew Yeshua versus the Greek Jesus, uh, a prayer to our Father, written by both Nehemiah Gordon and Keith Johnson, and uh, and the latest book, of course, Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence by Nehemiah Gordon, which you can get from uh, NehemiahsWall.com, and His Hallowed Name, His Hallowed Name, revealed again by Keith Johnson, and the website is HisHallowedName.com, a prayer to our Father.com. And uh, and and now, obviously, uh, timewilltell.tv. Timewilltell.tv. That's actually available, you guys, right now. You can go to that, and there's going to be uploads, et cetera, for the different series. But I really do want to promote one other thing. I really want people to pray about this. And it's, it's just now October, if you're listening to this, and we're in the thick of going around the country, really talking to different groups of people, Nehemi and I, Jewish, Messianic, Methodist, Baptist, Everybody that would open their doors. We're around the country right now by faith. Pray for us as we're going that we have traveling mercies. We'll have already been back from Israel. Certainly we'll have done a show with uh, Jono about that. But more importantly, we're going to be going to China, and we really do need your help. So for those that are listening right now, please, if you'd be willing to go to hishollowoodname.com, aprayertoourfather.com, or even to truthtoyou.org, you'll see two pandas there. One is Keith, one is Nehemiah. And uh, what we're doing is we're going to China. We're bringing this wonderful message from a prayer to our Father, Hebrew origins of the Lord's Prayer, and other things that we've done to the people of China. And we're going to be traveling both in mainland and Hong Kong, sharing this information. They have done a whole bunch of work on their part, given like 4,000 books away. We've given up the royalties for that. And basically, what we're raising for money now is so that Nehemiah can get there. We've raised enough for me to get there, as he said. <laughs> we need him well, to get yeah. there. So those, those that are willing to share with us in this, uh, what I don't even want to call it a mission. I want to call it just uh, an opportunity to bring this message over to that part of the world, uh, mm. we would appreciate your help. So please, if you'd be willing to do that, pray for us at least. Pay for us if you can. And uh, in all of it, we'll be reporting back to truth to you um, once we get back by God's grace 
and share the wonderful things that will take place in China. Oh, and don't forget to come to Israel with us if you can. And if you can't, tune in because we're going to bring truth to you over to the land and spy it out for you and share that information with you. First and couple speaking, of weeks of, not. speaking of truth to you, I want to remind the people that Jono has spent hundreds of hours hundreds. on just hundreds even beyond you know we sit with him for t- you know an hour and a half two two and a half hours doing these programs there's the preparation that goes into it and really what probably uh you know is a lot of people don't take into account is the numerous hundreds of hours jono spends on the editing of taking out every time uh you know i say where is that verse i can't find it and he edits that out and every time i i sneeze and uh back in the earlier episodes when my dog Giorgio of blessed memory would bark and every time keith uh is uh you know has his things going on he's got the phone ringing and Jono just spends hundreds of hours doing this, and, and people can support his ministry by going truth to you.org, truth number two letter u.org, and uh, support what he's doing. Because I found out he's actually not independently wealthy. He's stepping out on faith to do this, and he needs your support um, so he can buy more kangaroos to fill his garden. Um, and. <laughs> But uh, in all serious, can, can I? Can I? I know we're done with the Torah, and we want to wrap this up. But I've got to. I absolutely have to read something real quick. I want to read the first three verses of the book of Joshua, and he says, uh, in the, for, "I'm going to read it. Translate directly from the Hebrew. It says, okay. and it came to pass after the death of Moses, a servant of Jehovah, and Jehovah said to Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, saying, verse two, Moses, my servant is dead, and now rise up and cross this Jordan." you and all the, this people to the land which I give to them, to the children of Israel, every place where the sole of your foot steps, I've, I will give it to you as I spoke to Moses. And what this says to me is, you, the Torah is over. We finished the Torah. Now get up, cross the Jordan, and walk Amen. it out. Get up, cross the Jordan, and walk it out. And that's what I want to call on the people. We've finished the Torah. You've learned it. Go back and read it again yourselves. But now is the time to get up, rise up, cross over your spiritual Jordan, go into the land and walk it out. Amen. What a great way to end it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. And I also want to say a special thank you to Hanok Ben Isaac for the help of, uh, of Truth To You website and my wife, Connie, who's also helped in so many ways. And by no means least, the, the, the listeners. You guys are great. Thank you so much, all the listeners that are listening throughout the world uh, for your encouragement, your prayer, and your support. You have been listening to Truth To You Torah Pearls, where you can also freely download this and other Torah Pearls programs at truthtoyou.org. And if these programs have been a blessing to you, you can also show your support by donating at truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two. Letter you. Next week we are in. That's what I usually say right about. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! No, no, no! You're going to have to wait and see, dear listeners. You're going to have to wait and see what happens next week. And until then, dear listeners, be blessed. Be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Sure.